drug turns harmless people into wild beasts. What's up, you guys? It's good to be back. Uh, fuck. <laughs> Hold on one sec. <laughs> What's up, you guys? It's good to be back. I know it's been a while. And how are you all? Um, I just want to say which one of you mofos brought this desert-ass weather to my neck of the woods because I'm sweating inside of every crevice of my body right now it's very uncomfortable so i want to know who's responsible which man is responsible for this weather i don't i don't really i don't know it was like 100 degrees the other day fuck i was literally like rubbing frozen peas on my body man and like I know what you might be thinking. No, I mean the the bag of frozen peas, not like individual peas on my body. Like, don't get ideas, because I know with my, my past, you, you probably would. So I have to clarify. So what's up, you guys? <laughs> Welcome to the show. I'm I'm back. It's Unk. Um. Oh God, where do I start? So I want to keep this little intro short and sweet. Uh, but. What I do want to just get off my chest is have you all heard the new album or single by uh, Lorna Shore? It's really, man, holy shit. Like, if any of you claim to listen to metal, uh, I don't think you know what metal is. I thought I knew what metal is, like, before, you know, up until that point. And then I heard... Uh, this song it's called to the hellfire which is great because like it's so fucking hot this song like depicts like it sounds i don't i can't even understand the lyrics because he screams in a way that sounds like like satan and i mean the song itself the the guitar and the atmosphere it sounds like the gates of hell are opening so um yeah, check it out. Lorna Shore, To the Hellfire. I'll play just like a five second clip right now. And it'll just like the end of the song. So you get a little feel, you know? So here you go. Jesus fucking Christ, dude. Yeah, so... <laughs> Try and get on that level of in music I listen to, you know? I listen to some weird shit, and there you go. So, uh, the one thing, yeah, 
I only really wanted to say aside from death metal that I explore is, um, you know, I haven't gotten an episode out to you guys, right? And I'm sorry for that. I actually, um, on, what was it, uh, Memorial Day, it was like a Monday, I was, uh, I was actually, yeah, Monday on Memorial Day, which was like, what, a couple weeks ago, (laughs) I was actually down in Beverly Hills recording with my mic, uh, and you know, whenever I'm in Beverly Hills, like, this music plays, you know, in my head, because I think, oh, I'm so classy, even though I can never afford to live there. Um, but I was I was recording a, an episode, right, <laughs> trying to get an episode out to all of you. Reason being was that the following day, which was like a Tuesday, at 7.30 a.m., I was scheduled to have uh, my last um, surgery. You know, so I wanted to get an episode recorded and like mixed for you for a Friday release. But like always, I go into surgery thinking, oh, I'll be fine. <laughs> and then I get out and I, I always have this elaborate scheme to get off uh, pain pills really fast and detox off them because, you know, drug addict have to be in recovery, have to be responsible, you know. But by doing that, I, the, the drugs wear off. I think I'm fine. <laughs> And then the drugs wear off, and then I realize how much everything hurts. So then everything was haltered, and I did not get an episode out. I had like two episodes halfway finalized to get out to all of you. And uh, while in the midst of doing that and recovering from being like sliced, as I say, um, and lagging because it's pretty painful, but I'm doing better, so thank you. Um, while that was going on, one of my friends called me on the phone or no, he messaged me on messenger and he was like, what are you doing? And it was my friend, Michael. I actually went to rehab with him. He graduated after me. Um, cause he came in a little, like the rehab a little after I came in. So after I graduated, he was the next to, gr- to graduate. He's actually doing amazing. Uh, you know, since he graduated, he's been working like security at uh, the the rehab that we graduated from. But it's not, I don't know how you would uh, define the title. I wouldn't say it's security mainly. Like he um, facilitates like when they let uh, the homeless in and, and they feed them every day, which is my hats off to them. But they feed them every day, um, twice a day for breakfast and dinner. And he'll f- facilitate the surroundings and he'll make sure no one's, you know, going crazy or trying to fight people or he'll make sure, you know, drugs aren't being sold there, you know, just kind of stuff you have to watch out for. So, and he's doing great. I, I, he's going to school doing like 12 units full time and working full time. And dude is just like doing the best out of anybody I know who I went to rehab with. But anyway, he's in town. He hits me up. And he's like, what's up, bro? Let's, let's hang out. So, um, we go, we meet, we meet up and, uh, get a smoothie and like, that sounds kind (laughs) of sus, but whatever. Smoothies are good. And we go to the vape store and he's like, Hey, I want to record with you. Cause he'd been, he's been on the podcast, I think two times. Michael has been on with uh, my friend Gary and he's been on 
with my friend Gary and Trey. Uh, shout outs to them. I hope they're doing good. I know Trey's doing good. I'm proud of you, brother. And, you know, Michael's like he's been, had this whole rehab experience with me. But anyway, he wanted to record, but I was like, well, what do you want to talk about? You know, um, because I was in the middle of getting an episode done. And so he was like, well, I want to interview you, which is, you know, very different usually when I have guests on, I interview them. But he was like, yeah, I want to interview you. And I was like, well, uh, what about? And so he really wanted to interview me about mm, my last experience with the last 12 months of my life. Because, you know, a lot of you know, it's been kind of struggle, a struggle in itself. You know, it's been rough surgeries. And I detailed some of that in the was a, a three-part episode way back when it was going on. But I didn't really get into the nitty-gritty, as you say, I guess. None of the crazy details I wasn't really comfortable discussing. He, but he wanted to, I think, for me, I was like, ooh, I don't have a problem answering any questions. But I never really chose, was like deciding to really open up about that again. But I think where he was coming from, he wanted to know uh, how I didn't, through all that, didn't go and just say, fuck it, I'm going to get strung out again on on heroin. So, because, you know, and when he asked me that and told me that, he was saying that because he was, like, looking at it in a way that he was inspired by that experience and he wanted me to kind of share my story and he wanted to ask me how I kind of stayed clean, which honestly, at the time, I was like, dude, I honestly don't know how I stayed clean. But I kind of get into the details of this episode. So I know the last few episodes have been more of me narrating in crazy detail these stories, and they're really lighthearted and funny. And this episode's very different. Uh, you know, one of the, for the first time in a long time, this episode's going to talk more about recovery, but it's also going to talk about, you know, a lot of things. You know, I think a lot of you may have wondered or have noticed that, you know, this podcast has not been as regular as it once was. You know, I had weekly uh, releases, and for the lo longest time it's been, you know, there's been large gaps where I've been absent and lately I've been trying to get episodes out every few weeks or when I can. Um, and maybe some of you might not fully understand what, why that is or what happened. I've, you know, I've been going through something maybe or this or that. And so I've tried to, you know, detail it as in a way that, you know, I was comfortable detailing. Up, to, up until that point. But now that the last surgery is done and behind me and Michael came over and asked me all these questions, I, I noticed that I got into way more detail about that whole experience. Um, a lot of the parts of the story that I talk about in this episode are very graphic and they get into really gory details. And not only that, I really, um, I don't know, detail the level of depression I was experiencing and how I kind of overcame that, the reasons for my frustration and depression. And um, because, you know, I know a lot of people have experienced that. And when you're in that kind of dark place, it's very easy to be subjectable to suggestion that your insane, insane mind might, you know, create, you know, why don't you go get fucked up or this or that, or Hey, fuck it, you know? So, 
it gets into that and maybe you'll all get a better understanding. Also, one last thing is that I know I've I w- I've said before I've been kind of absent on messengers of all the social medias for this podcast, but lately, and I hope you noticed them, I've really made an effort of getting back to as many people as possible, and I'm kind of almost fully caught up. I've only, I've still yet to check my, the Nod Squad podcast Gmail, and I've noticed and I've seen a couple people have emailed me, and I really appreciate and love the emails I have gotten. So thank you. And I will hopefully by the time this episode is out, which is uh, Friday, maybe I will have all that caught up too. So I hope to think that, you know, from that point on, anyone who does message me, I will get back to in a timely manner. (laughs) Then I'm sorry about that. You know, I feel really bad, but hopefully, you know, everyone I have said, Hey, I'm sorry. This is what's been going on. You have all been really understanding and been like, Hey, it's really cool. And you've been the most understanding out of everybody I've talked to. (laughs) So really, thank you. That means a lot. And so I just want to thank, uh, Michael for, for, you know, visiting me and saying hi and for coming on the podcast and interviewing me for once. That's very different. So thank you. Um, I'm really proud of Mike or Michael. I'm so used to calling him by his last name, which I won't say for, you know, an anonymity. I'm really bad at saying that word still, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I'm really proud of Michael. I hope you're listening. And if you are, yeah, I'm really proud of you. You know, he is doing out of everybody. He's one of the one people who went to rehab with me. That's doing the most amazing, And it's really inspirational to me and inspires me to want to do as good as I can as well. And hopefully I'll reach somewhat, maybe even half the heights that he's going by right now. It's, it's just, I'm really proud of him. So thank you. Um, and I just want to also say, uh, just while I'm at it, thank you to all the staff at the rehab I did graduate from. Um, you know, I, I doubt <laughs> I doubt you guys usually ever listen, but if you are listening, uh, thank you for not only helping me at so much when I was in rehab. I mean, you guys, I, will, I won't say any names. We all know who you are. You've helped you helped me so much while I was doing my twelve months at the rehab. But you also, when I had gotten out, and you know, you had all found out what had been going on with me with like my, my health complications. I would, I had been hearing about, you know, you guys taking concern and showing that you really cared and you guys did reach out to me and have constantly still to this day, you guys reach out to me and make sure I'm okay. And that means a lot to me. So thank you guys. I really do appreciate that. And I love you guys, you know, like a brother to, I don't know, another mother, you know what they say. I'm, I'm really white, so I can't really say that kind of stuff without sounding super cringe. So let's just ignore me trying to, <laughs> anyway, um, so with that, let's just jump in the episode, it was like, we talked for two hours, so I haven't, I haven't even edited the recording yet, so I don't even know what I, what we're getting into, to be honest, so let, you know, take my hand and I'll walk you through this story of my horribly dysfunctional and traumatic life, <laughs> but we can all laugh about it now, because, you know, I'm doing, at least I'm not on heroin or, you know, drugs or whatever, <laughs> I'm still weird, but yeah, (laughs) I don't know what I can do about that. Just uh, one day at a time, man. (laughs) 
So with that, I'm out. Um, but yeah, everyone, I love, I love the shit out of you. Thank you guys so much for everything. Um, you know, I will be getting back to having more, uh, releases for episodes. So with that, yeah, I love, I love you guys so much. Thank you. And as always, peace, love, and Yeah, you may be gone, but so what? Say, look what I become. Hey, get out of my head. Get out of my head. You may be gone, but so what? Say, my life just begun. Hey, get out of my head. Get out of my head. Guess who just fucking messaged me? The tantric uh, sex instructor. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You told me to message her back, and I did. You don't reply. Uh, nice. I, I did. did you see I, that? I, you I did. Huh? I said, "Okay, well, you're insanely attractive, so please ask me anything." <laughs> and she said, "Hey, hun, how are you today? We can communicate via Instagram. I don't get any notifications around here. You know what that means." When I head over to Instagram, that shit's going to get juice way juicier because let's face it. She's a tantric sex instructor. Like I haven't like had much. T- well, I don't even know what tantric sex is, dude, to be honest. I'm, <laughs> it's the study of different art forms of sex. From what I got out of the fuck is an art form of sex, dude. That is true. I think it was you like already this uploaded ancient- it. Nice. There I am, being a badass. Yeah, right. read it, read it. Let's see. What's up here, AC Monk? Yes, he's alive, and while everybody about to die. I bet everyone has been wondering if I'm alive. That's badass. Thank you, sir. Some pregnant chick on your, your feet. <laughs> a lot of those lately. All right, well, yeah, we're, we're fucking recording, my friend. Oh, <laughs> we're online for everybody. I try to, like, ease people into it yeah. because, you know, the, the pressure and everything, you know. I've had people on that are just nervous about talking about the worst things, like, they've done in life. So that's my little strategy. It's almost like when you, like, play airplane with a baby while you're giving them a fucking vaccine. It's, like, the same thing. <laughs> so anyway, what? How am I going to say this? I, it's been so long since I've had anyone on my podcast or everybody, the people's podcast that, you know, forgive me if I don't like know how to navigate that well, but hello, we're back. This is, you know, me, Unk, and this is my friend, uh, Michael. Uh, we'll just call hello. you that. We'll keep you. What's up? Keep you anonymous. Like, but you've been on, you've been on before, like Three, I've been on, yeah. Like three, t- three, four times almost. Uh, maybe even twice. I think I've been on two episodes. Like, I don't know. You had like two two-part episodes with, uh, no, you did one two-part episode with Gary, and then one with you, Gary, and, uh, and Trey. Trey. Yes. All right. So, why are you here? Why are you here in my neck of the woods, sir? Well, I mean, let's start. You know, first and foremost, um, thank you for having me here. It's always an honor and a pleasure mm-hmm. um, to be back I uh, mean, being one of you know the first guests um, on a session with you, it, yeah, it's, it's totally. definitely. You, you know, really are the first guest, dude. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, and I'm going to be doing the interview today. So just let the folks know. By the way, yeah, my, Mike or Michael came here and he said, "I want to interview you today," which is, you know, hey, let's try it out. Yeah. But um, 
just wanted to get into where you've been and what has been going on with your life, if you would and yeah, like so to. For, for all of you who don't know, you know, Brian and I, we went through rehab together and, um, you know, we went through a program, a year-long program, and, and it's been a little bit over a year that we've been out. And so um, within the last, you know, year, um, we've uh, been, you know, and caught up with life and, and, you know, we've, um, been doing our thing. And, and, and during that time, you know, I hear my friend over here back in, in Pismo, back where we're from, we're from the same hometown and, you know, he's going through a lot of struggles, dude, a lot of life, um, struggles and life was throwing curveballs at him. And I think it was, I mean, for me, one of the craziest situations that you can be presented with, mm-hmm. um, a year fresh out of recovery, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, during that time, I think I've been here maybe two or three times, three times, you know, to come and say, what's up, check up on you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Last time I was here, you had your freaking bag right next to you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I yeah. I walked out of the bathroom and you were just sitting in my room and I had like no shirt on and <laughs> no like, shirt on, I was like, Oh, what's up? Yeah. I was like, here you go. <laughs> yeah. Here I am. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, for me, this is like what I want to get out to the viewers, right? All right. Um, basically, in the last year, right, describe the sequence of events in a nutshell of what happened to you. The events. Okay. Well, hold on. I, I have to stop the dog from barking if I'm going to do this. The pretext is, dude, me, us being in rehab and figuring out why dudes are having to play with your butthole. Or dude, I, what, I did. Get, I walk in the bathroom and like, uh, there's a guy with the glove. And, and when I, was this? Remember, you had to go up in your butthole to to see if like. Uh, remember? No, no, there was no one what in happened? a bathroom with a finger about with their glove. No, I had enemas. Remember, I had to and, put the okay. enema in my ass. Because, okay, so basically, like, halfway... Okay, so it wasn't a finger, it was enema, all right? You guys... Yeah. <laughs> there was no one... Well, I had a doctor's finger in my ass, but that's... I mean, we could get into that, too. But that wasn't at the... Or anything. Okay, so what happened at the... Describe the bathroom scene. Because... Well, this is even before that, but, uh... You know, six months into the... Uh, me being at rehab, you had, like, recently gotten there, and uh, we were... We hadn't moved to the main building yet. We were still in um, whatever the halfway house side of the program. So, yeah, six weeks in, I'm like starting to shit blood, right? And I'm like, dude, this is weird. And back then, I was like, dude, I was probably bangs. I probably drank a lot of bangs because <laughs> or coming off a lot of drugs still. Well, yeah, dude. I was like, yeah, because when I detoxed before I got in, I took a big heroin yeah. shit. I was like, could have torn something or whatnot. And heroin can do that to to your body, you know? What you tear your fucking? Tear, yeah. Oh, dude, it was bad. So, but anyways, yeah, yeah. I remember. Uh, I'll just say, Wes pulled me aside and was like. Dude, why are you so... Rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace, Wes. Rest in peace. But he, he was like, why are you so anal right now? <laughs> well, I'm so anal. And I was like, well, I'm shooting out blood. Like, I'm... Out of my anal. Out of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why I'm so anal. So he's like, well, why don't you go see a doctor? We have healthcare in California. So it was like, I was going... I was shooting blood, but it wasn't like really that ba- bad, bad. But it was enough to where I'm like, I uh, should see a doctor. So then they put me on, um, I had, was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which, do you know exactly what that is? No idea. 
So it's when your immune system is all out of whack and your immune system senses or thinks it detects something in your digestive system that's like a foreign body or something to attack. Like, you know, when your white blood cells usually sense uh, disease or bacteria or whatever, it attacks it. Yeah, it's almost like your immune system. It is, but your immune system senses your own body and thinks it's like something to attack. So my white blood cells would be attacking my own intestine and that causes just bad inflammation, really bad. And so I was shooting blood and then I got diagnosed and that's when you saw I had to go in for the uh, the camera up the butt. I forget what those are called, but uh, so that they, there's pictures of my butthole that I brought back to the rehab and uh, I had the enemas and you saw me fucking put an enema in my ass and uh, I thought that was it. I was like, okay. They're gonna look well, at- I saw the process of it. I mean, the before process of it. I walk in the bathroom and, you know. No, it was not in the bathroom. It was in my own bedroom in rehab. David was like, I want to see you put this in your ass, if, you know, because I was no, prescribed. David. So he's all loud about it, following me to my room. And he's like, hey, everybody, Unks, want to put this in his ass. Why don't we all? So all these people trail behind him, you and Gary and everyone. And then, yeah, I fucking, you guys all watched me put this thing in my ass. It was not comfortable. And by the way, if you're not in rehab, this is like the best close thing you can get as entertainment in the house. All right, you guys? Yeah, and... This is not weird at all. Uh, no, this is goes on at every rehab. Yeah. Um, whether you have, like, a medical condition or not. But David had a secret cell phone, so he's filming me on video and taking pictures of me with, like, my ankles over behind my head and a fucking tube in my ass. Like, it's pretty embarrassing. And he got the, uh, that cell phone caught... So who knows where the cell phone is floating around with pictures of me putting something in my ass. But So I was like, all right, cool. That's got to be the end of it. And then um, I graduated, you know, and you saw me do graduation. Then uh, the pandemic was hitting, but we were moving or getting transferred into the sober living while they're going under lockdown and all that. So I had gotten a job. And I was just living at the sober living and working and going to school, you know, which was hard because, um, you know, with the pandemic, I was like, let go from my job. And then, uh, I, once I found another job, they were like asking me to come back and all the, no one knows what's going on. It was like the early, early pandemic. And I'm dating this, that psychopath. Remember? Mm-hmm. I'll, um, I'll blur, I'll blur her name out, but I was dating. Yes. Like I'm. <laughs> So, and I'm not taking that. And I think that's the last time you got some. And it is the last, last time. time you got some. That's the last time you got some, folks. All right. He's been on a dry run for 12 months or yeah. more. 12 months or more. No, no sex. So, okay. So we're in rehab, right? We're, we're past like the, the funny part of it, right? We don't really know exactly what's going on yet. We have an idea or the doctors have an idea, right? He's out of rehab, has a year out of rehab. He's got a job. Um, well, lost his job because of the pandemic. Now he has a job again, mm-hmm. working, and then you move out of sober living. And yeah, I uh-huh. I do that. Uh, what I will say is, what's funny is the last time I got laid, it was at, in a movie theater. I had gotten I got in a movie theater pre COVID. Pre COVID. No, it was right when the lockdowns were happening, and it was like the last movie you could see in the theater. Yeah. And there was a few people in there, but. 
And so I was with, you know, and she starts, you know, touching me and shit. And then all of a sudden she just reaches for it, pulls my dick out and then starts going to town while I'm watching, uh, was watching Parasite, Sick. which is like, yeah, it's not the best movie to get your dick sucked through, <laughs> but I mean, the thing is I never had gotten my dick sucked in a movie theater before. So I was like nervous looking around, seeing if the people behind me could see my dick and like, that was the last time I got laid, I think. There you go. Yeah. And, and you know, and let's just touch on that real quick because movies, right, hasn't been the same since COVID. I mean, they give you no. a seating now, like you're assigned I even, seats. I don't even try the theater. And it's just burnt. Like that was like a, a easy way to, you know, get some. And it's just, I miss it. Well, you know, it's really it's actually not that bad because if you have a Hulu account, you just say, Hey, watch theater, watch movie in my place. Yeah. And then what I used to do, my trick was I didn't have a couch and I grew weed in my bedroom in my apartment. So my bed was in the living room and there were no couches. I was like, you have to sit on me next to my bed. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It worked for me. So, yeah. but, uh, no, where was it? We, I had, yeah, I'd moved out of the sober living cause I'm, mm-hmm. The house manager was kind of driving me crazy. Mm-hmm. And so someone, one of my friends who had also graduated, offered me a room at uh, their apartment because he had got an apartment with someone and just else. just to reiterate, I mean, we're talking about, so you are now living at a house and, and you're with two of the, actually, that we graduated with, yeah. you know, in our class. Yeah, two graduates um, yeah. of rehab. Two graduates of rehab, same rehab, you know, he's uh, a year out of... Uh, um, sobriety, um, out of sober living now, you know, has basically doing life on life's terms. Mm-hmm. And that's already nerve wracking in, in itself. Cause you're kind of leaving this great foundation you had and trying to build your own, you know, yeah. and you're trying to do that with two other people who just got out of the program with you. Most people don't even graduate. So it was a little nervous, but I was like, I was like, I'm so ready, I guess, at the time. But the thing is, is like, I was so busy because I was getting all this overtime and full time at school. I was like, just kind of burnt out. But um, what had actually happened is there was like moments at work because um, my, oh, whatever, colitis was so bad. Like I would drink water, right? And my stomach would just be like just dying. Yeah, I'd feel like I was getting stabbed in my gut just from drinking water. So I was like, dude, this is crazy. So I was like, had to keep calling uh, my uh, whatever gastric doctor. And they were trying to put me on um, steroids, prednisone and stuff to ease the inflammation. Nothing was working. And every night I had to go take a shit blood like six times. Like five or six times every night, I'd get up and shit blood. And I was just like, I didn't know what to do. So, you know, pandemic and everything, um, it's hard to go in and see your doctor one-on-one. So you have to do Zoom appointments. Yeah, Zoom appointments. And they're like, they can't really assess you that well over a Zoom conference, you know? So... Finally, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, okay, so, you know, you're trying to figure out what's going on with you. Obviously, this has been a problem since you were in rehab. Now you're out of rehab and you're still shitting blood, right? Yeah. Nothing's working. What was, or which, you know, which was the appointment where you had to figure out, or which doctor, you know, was 
the doctor that told you like, hey, this is what's going on with you. This was you, this is serious. Yeah. Okay. So that happened after I almost died. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of fuck morbid to laugh at. But um, wait, are we talking about the stroke? No. No, this is before that. Okay. So um, I was so busy from work and so busy from school that it was like, okay, I shit blood every night. I'm so busy. I almost don't have time to even deal with this. It's like, and I almost was like, well, the doctor's not fucking taking it serious. So it must not be that serious. But then I started getting really lightheaded. Like I'd be working and I was super, super lightheaded for not a natural reason. So, um, it was a bit like a Saturday cause I had Sundays and Mondays off. I came up here for a weekend and, um, I just hung out with my parents, but then, uh, I was still getting lightheaded, right? I had gotten up off the couch to go do some laundry because the load was done in the washer. Uh, I'd gotten so lightheaded when I got off the couch, I fainted and I fell and I, uh, cracked my head open on the tile downstairs and I reached and to my back of my head and there was a handful of blood. So I was like, Oh shit. You know, I was like, this is getting way more serious. So I had to lay down and put a towel on my head to soak up the blood. And I was like, this isn't good. So I hung out and rested here, went back down. And, um, I was telling my parents like, Oh, this is, there's some weird shit going on with me. And they were like, okay, well, if you still have these symptoms, you're gonna have to go see a doctor. So I went to work after two days of resting and I was still like, dude, I'm so tired and lightheaded. And I do this work every day. So I told my uh, coworker, I was like, I was like, magic, I got to take the neck tomorrow off and go to the hospital. And he's like, okay, you know, I, uh, they were cool with me at work. So it was not a big deal. But then um, I went in and told him, yeah, I'm getting super lightheaded. I took a shower and I wanted to like fall down, you know? So they stuck uh, a needle in me for a blood draw. And they tested my what hemoglobin count, which is your red blood cells. And my red blood cell count was at a four out of 12, which means I had lost two thirds of my blood. Like I'd shit out two thirds of my blood. <laughs> there you that's go. Cr- I mean, that's there kind you, of, now we know how much shit over the yeah, dude, course of, it, it's kind of intense to think about yeah, it. it is. Like now to, it is. cause, and the, I mean, we can laugh at it now, but at the time, like this is some serious stuff. And we, well, know. I didn't even know how to process it. Right. But the doctor who was mm-hmm. telling me this, he was looking at me like, how are you not dead? And he was talking to me in a very serious tone. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to get blood transfusions in you right away. Like, the reason you're getting lightheaded is because you don't have enough blood in your body to carry oxygen to your brain. So when uh, I'm working, I'm like trying to breathe fast and puffing yeah. and puffing because I don't have enough oxygen to go into and my that brain. That was the reason of getting so lightheaded and passing almost right? to the point of passing out. And it's funny that you mentioned that part where you fell down and almost broke your head, dude, after mm-hmm. passing out and getting lightheaded. Because, dude, I remember when I was like on good ones and I'd be on a sick one for a few days and then I'd finally get some rest mm-hmm. and I'd get up at that one point. It wouldn't be to the point where I fell over. But it would be a nice little head rush. Yeah. You know what I mean? After being knocked out for so long and still... That happens to your head, happens to your legs. <laughs> yeah, it's like everything. little good tingly feeling that goes up to your head and like oh, yeah. you kind of like like This it. wasn't a good tingly but, though. This was like scary because yeah. I was like, I knew I was falling and I was like, I couldn't stop my body. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh shit. And then once I felt my 
head impact the tile. Yeah, it was gnarly. I was like, oh, this is not good. But he's talking to me like it's serious, and I was like, I was like, okay, well, I'm still trying to process how serious it is, but I'm still like, whatever. I get a day off work. I get some blood put in me. This is this isn't that bad. So I go in, and it's a couple days of them putting pumping blood into me. Now. During that time, they were trying to put me on pain pills because they were like, I don't want you to flush the toilet because I want to see how bloody your stool is. And by that point, it looked like it was all blood. Mm-hmm. Like if you looked at the toilet, I have pictures of toilet bowls that look like a fucking murder scene. You know, I was just like, wow, this is not <laughs> probably not normal. If you ask most people, they're like, yeah, I don't shit ever that much blood in my life on a daily basis. So that at that time I was talking to my sponsor. Um mm-hmm. I was just like, what should I do? They're offering me pain pills. And, and this is the first time that in, in you know, in, during this time, right, that they I'm, offered you. Yeah, the first time I'm offered a chance yeah. to get high and the doctor says it's okay. And Even at which point they, you might have had like, what, 16 months, close to 18? Yeah, when I, I graduated and then this was like a few months after that. So it was like 15, 16 months, 15, clean 16, time. Okay. So I'm talking to Travis, sponsor. my sponsor, about it. And he's like, dude, your doctor said... You, like you need it. So it's fine. You're not, if, as if just keep an eye on it and make sure you don't go out of hand. Cause you yeah. know how you can do as, that. You know, prescribed from the doctor. I think I was more worried about, Oh, people in the meetings are going to be like, Oh, Unc is on pills, you know, but I was still kind of worried. Like, you know, but at this, you know, that nervous worried, like, Oh, I could get high, like, Ooh, I free pass. But at the same time, what's it going to cost me? You know? So by then, they're, they're introducing me to this surgeon and other people in the, uh, hospital or whatever. They're recommending like, you're probably going to have to lose your intestine. Like mm. it's so bad. I don't think they're like, we don't think meds are going to ever get this inflammation down. You're probably, we're probably gonna have to gut you and take it out. Cause if you keep losing blood at this rate, that's not an option. So like I told you, I was like, I didn't want to get it. Cause they're explaining the process and they're like, well, we, you're going to, we're going to take the intestine. You're going to have to live with a ostomy and an ileostomy bag, which, you know, what you were mentioning while I was <laughs> dealing with my dog. Yeah. You, you basically, it's like, it's like a colostomy bag, but I guess a colostomy bag is t- in behind you. Like it's like right here. Yeah. Like taped to your back or strapped to your back. It's basically like they cut a hole in your abs or somewhere out the body and they stick your small intestine out. So the end of your small intestine just like sticking out and it kind of attaches to where that hole is in you. And that's where you shit out of. So, I mean, instantly when you were describing that, I'm thinking about like, if I'm having sex with missionary with some chick, she's going to see that. It's pretty much pop. If like, you, you know, if you're having, well, what I would imagine is no matter what sexual position you are in, that bag is going to fill up over time and just going to start slapping against your partner. And that's not sexy. That's turn off. And it's just like, how am I ever going to have a relationship with a woman ever again? I haven't even thought about that. Okay. Okay. Keep going. Plus, I mean, beyond that, I was like, whatever, I'll live by myself forever for the rest of my life. If that's the worst, you know, then -hmm. whatever. But at the same time, it's like, when you have a, an ostomy or an ileostomy bag or whatever, you don't want to go to public events. You know, people will be like, oh, we want to go out to a restaurant. 
you don't want to do that. The thing farts by itself without your control if you're gassy or whatever. And um, so you could be getting, I'd be getting a haircut with uh, my hairstylist or whatever, who's just, she's so bomb at like cutting my hair. And then out of nowhere, I'd be like, you know, (laughs) and she knows what I'm dealing with. So she would be cool and not say anything, but like, it's embarrassing. Oh, so that did happen. It did happen. <laughs> and every time I went out, I'm like, dude, I hope I don't bust out a crazy fart in front of all these strangers. So it's like that mentality. And I mean, I, it's, and we're not even getting into the, these are just the minor things this that is are what you, involved. Yeah. These are the things you deal with when you have a, a colostomy bag or ileostomy bag. Mm-hmm. It's like, and then, you know, I guess that's a considered an insecurity, but then on top of that, you have to deal with waking up in the middle of the night because the bag is full of shit mm-hmm. and you have to empty the bag and like clean it and out. I have a question. So when you do have the bag, right. And you do got to shit, do you know you got to shit or are you shitting automatically into the bag? Yeah. You don't, you don't have control over a sphincter to open and close the shit hole. It just, when you're, it's full of shit, just comes out by itself. So in the middle of the night, if you don't wake yourself up to empty the bag, it can get o- over full and like blow up, blow up. And then you wake up with shit all over you. <laughs> like, and like I I'll laugh about it now and I'll talk about it now. But, you know, at the time, I don't want to heavy. Yeah, I don't want to open up to just like, especially on the podcast, like I'll open up about it on the podcast to you. And now because. Uh, the awesome got reversed and I no longer have to shit in a bag. Like I can shit out on my butthole again. Thank God. But for eight months, it was not that way. Mm-hmm. And I had to deal with my insurance and then getting more ostomy products, like more bags. Cause you have a bag. It's a, a shit bag taped to the side of you. So, and it's like, you know, your large intestine, I guess, takes the, the digested shit that's liquidier and then make, forms into a, a turd, a solid, hard shit. But when you don't have a large intestine, you're just shitting more softer and liquidier shit, you know? And it's like you, you have to change the bag like six to maybe 12 times a day. So it's just like you're around a, you got to stay close to a toilet. If you go on a road trip, like the bag gets full, now you have to find a gas station in the middle of wherever the fuck you are. And, like, and oh and man. And we, we discussed this before the recording. I mean, you said you were having troubles with your insurance because obviously, you know, you have to change out the bag and all these other. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, procedure uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of things that you need. Now, did your insurance cover that or? Well, okay, so at my job that I had, it had uh, full health insurance. So mm-hmm. I was covered by my job and they covered my surgery and I got in for that. And they covered a percentage of the ostomy products, but I bought like a three month supply of like the bag and everything you need. It was even after they deducted like 800 bucks, I had to pay 350 bucks. A month? No, that was oh, for a three month supply three months, of so about a hundred and... So, 15 bucks. yeah, it's like, if I didn't have any insurance, it's like a thousand bucks. So I don't shit on myself. This is crazy. Yeah. I had, I got, I had gotten better insurance later that covered all of it, but man, that's just like, you have to worry about that cost a thousand mm-hmm. plus dollars every year. So you don't shit on yourself basically. Yeah. And like 
the the most peace you have is right when you clean and you put on a brand new bag, which only lasts like four days, because shit breaks down plastic like nothing else. Because I mean, I wouldn't know. It's but. Half stomach bile, <laughs> half whatever the waste product. So you have a, bl- a plastic bag with like um, tape, like sticky tape, just taped to you. Mm-hmm. You know, plus. Um, there's all this other shit that I was telling you about, but, um, I was getting my first surgery, just, um, dealing with that and not knowing if I can get the ostomy reverse. Cause I have to deal with the second and third surgery just to see if I can get my, um, small in- intestine reattached to my butthole. Cause it's, if you're a really tall person or some or stuff, it doesn't sometimes reach, reach. And then you have to shit out of a hole in your side of your abs for the rest of your life, you know? So I'm stressed out about that. And And so, okay. So, and so basically what you described is basically how you had to take care of yourself during that whole time. I mean, it sounds like it's a lot of work. Number one, it sounds Mm -hmm. like it's, you know, a lot, it's time consumption. Waking up in the middle of the night is making sure that, you know, you're clean and, and, and well, plus all the life shit that the, you get. Exactly. You, yeah. And so now I want to, cause I'm really, you know, curious as to how you were able to deal every, cause you had three surgeries, right? And during plus two, the two, when my stoma relapsed, which are minor surgeries, but uh-huh. technically it's you five. You had to go to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and they cut to the me. hospital, rushed in the hospital. So, so, okay. So he had to go five surgeries, five surgeries in less people, than a year, in less than a year. <laughs> And all these surgeries had the potential of, you know, being really bad. Yeah. Thank God everything went well and the last surgery went well and we are where we are today. But at the time, this is some gnarly stuff that's going on. And all these surgeries, right, the the doctors are wanting to give you, you know, medication. Oh, yeah. We need you on this. But and then there's like this back and forth thing. Right. And I want you to be able to describe that, you know, uh, uh. Of like, oh, we, we want to give you this. And you're trying to say, well, I, I don't think I need as much of this. And this oh, yeah. still. I can, so, get, I can get into all of the prescription opiates aspects. So, um, like I had told you, like I was talking to my sponsor, Travis, mm-hmm. about what I should do. And they had put me on something. And by the time, by the time they did that, I was doped up. I mean, yeah. I... It like before I knew it, I blinked an eye and I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm loopy, you know? So like, I felt high obviously, but it was like time, you know how time goes by really fast when you're high. So before I knew it, I was like, okay, I agreed to the surgery and signed the papers. Before I knew it, I was getting moved up for surgery and it was crazy. They, they put me out and I remember coming out of the anesthetics or anesthesia. And I thought like I was like in a dream state. So in my mind, I thought, oh, I'm at work. I thought I was at work and I, I thought I saw people around me working and I thought I was asleep at the job. So I, I got up real quick. I tried to lift myself up like, oh, shit, I hope the boss doesn't see me. And one of the nurses grabbed my shoulders and slammed me back down. I'm like, no, don't get up. And that immediately as soon as she slammed me back down, I, Reality could, I could feel all the pain from the, the operation that happened like just a few seconds ago. And I was like, ah, it hurts. So then they're freaking out after that. 
and they started pumping liquid Dilaudid into my uh, IV. Uh-huh. And I kept screaming like, that fucking hurt. <laughs> I was like crying like, why would you do that to me? <laughs> and they kept putting uh, more blotted in. Like, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if we should give them anymore because it was a lot. And finally, it, it, like, I could, I was like really high and I didn't feel it. I was like, oh, thank God. And they moved me to the my room to recover. And when I woke up, they didn't want to give me anything. Didn't want to give me any drugs. So and this I'll, is after the first procedure, right? First procedure. First procedure. All right. I've been in the hospital over two months by this point, and it's pandemic. No one can visit me. I'm there by myself. Only company are the nurses. Some and so every eight hours you get a new one. Sometimes they're a, you know a bitch, or sometimes they're cool. You never know. So when I wake up from surgery. I have the, my gut sticking out in a bag, you know, I have the ostomy and I'm just like, like freaking out, staring at it because it's like, you see the first the, time you actually, you know, have it right in front of you. Well, yeah, I couldn't even look down at it at first cause it was scary, but then you just look at it you're like, Oh, that's my guts right there. Ooh, I'm awake. This is so bizarre. So, but I'm also loopy, loopy on drugs and, um, the surgeon's assistant team assistant or whatever. She's like, okay, I have this whole regimen of, uh, pain maintenance for you. And she's like, we're going to put you on a ketamine drip and we're going to put you on Marinol, which is like the hospital synthesized THC that doesn't do anything. And we're going to give you like, just, they wanted to give me everything, but, uh, pain pills that are known to work. So I am like stuck in a K I've never done ketamine on the street, by the way. They put a ketamine liquid drip in my IV. I'm in a K-hole, like just like zoned out. I can't even talk, but I'm, I still feel all the pain. But I, I'm too fucked up to like be like, nurse, help me. I'm in pain. Yeah. So for like hours until the ketamine wears off, I can't even tell them that I'm in excruciating pain. Finally, when I'm able to, I'm telling the nurse like, dude, you're getting me so drugged up right now and I'm still in pain. Can you just take away all these foo-foo drugs and just give me one drug that actually works and we can then work on tapering from that. Like, I don't understand why that you're doing this, you know, because you can tell by the way they were talking to me and how they were talking about the, how they were going to give me uh, pain treatment or whatever. They were scared to give me something, um, which is like, okay, I get, I get that concern because, you know, opiate epidemic or whatever. But, um, I was like hurting bad. So I'm like, dude, I don't care at this point. Just give me something. Mm -hmm. So they took me off the ketamine drip and they gave me liquid Dilaudid in a button. So every three minutes I could press a button and get a point of Dilaudid put in my IV. And they were putting 0.5 of Dilaudid in my IV every four hours. And they were trying to give me an oxy pill every four hours on top of that. And I kept trying to tell them, please just like taper these drugs. You have to, it's like I knew I had to be very vocal about what I'm being given and stuff, like what I can work with them because they're just trying to throw all this shit at me, see what sticks. And I'm feeling like I'm so out of it. Mm-hmm. By then I had lost so much weight. I think I was like 125, 130 pounds. Right. I was just skinny as fuck because you have to fast before they cut you up. And so all liquid diet for like at least 24 to 48 hours, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then even even like after the procedure, when you were at the two months in the hospital, what was the uh, meal plan plan that they had you on? Like, could you eat regular food? 
Was it still like soft food, liquid so diet? about and- 24 to 48 hours after the surgery when I'm like waking up, the surgeon's like, we want to start giving you food. And they put me on a just straight solid diet, solid. right? So I started eating like crazy because I'm super hungry. And at first, you know, the stone was working. It's pooping by itself. But at one point, I guess this is a common thing that occurs uh, when you get a new stoma. It fell asleep. I guess your stoma can fall asleep and then it wouldn't push shit out of my body. So I would eat more food. It would digest and just build up. It just build in my gut more and more. And it wasn't coming out until I was just so bloated like, and they're like, yeah, your stoma's asleep and we're not, we can't give you any food and we can't give you any water until you shit again. So I would have to like do walks around the floor of the hospital because that works up your gas muscles and you can try and wake up your stoma and shit again. Uh, but that hurt because then at first you're building up gas and your stoma's sleep is not coming out. So I get more bloated with gas and at night, I would be screaming so loud. Like, uh, sometimes I'd just get cramps. And I'd scream so loud. Like, the nurses would walk in and be like, I'd be like, can't you do anything? This hurts. And, like, your pain meds aren't for another f- two hours. So I, for two hours, uh, at, like, 12.31 in the morning, I'm just screaming at the top of my lungs. And they're like, nurses are coming in. Like, can you keep it down? <laughs> I'm just like, fuck. That was just, I wanted to die so bad. So finally, stoma wakes up and I'm shitting again and my stomach goes down. You know, I start gaining a little weight, but they still are trying to taper me, taper me down off of uh, pain pills. And I'm like, whatever, whatever it takes to get me out of the hospital, like I'll do, you know, I don't care. I I mean, I was getting so high. It wasn't even a question of like, oh, I wasn't really thinking like, oh, I'm going to get cut off on, because that, at the time it was just like, there's yeah. nurses delivering you fucking yeah. top shelf opiates every four hours. Like after a while, you just think it's, and you're it's, it, going to yeah. get it no yeah. matter what. So, and, and at this point, you know, you, you, this is the first procedure and it's probably like the most excruciating one. I'm assuming, it's you pretty know, bad. describing yeah. everything and the events that you're going through. And we're talking about in the middle of a pandemic where you're in a hospital, all this other stuff is going around. Yeah. All and the, the nurses are worked up too. So, so up they're too, frustrated. Like yeah. You probably couldn't see your, fa- I mean, mm-hmm. did you see your family in those courts too much? They finally approved like one or two visitations, or two visits? but okay. for a long time I was just yeah. by myself. Cause yeah. you know, I remember at the time they weren't letting anyone in the hospital no you know? and people yeah. were, at that time, had you know family members died of COVID, and they could their own family members couldn't go see them. And the so, part, the parts of the hospital I went, the one floor was completely um, locked down, locked down for people with COVID. So the rest of the hospital could roam yeah. and operate freely. So they were really, and a lot of them, the nurses, I would talk to them, and they'd be like, "Yeah, I have to go do another twelve hours." Now, was that um, ever a, f- a fear at the time? Like, you're like, "Fuck COVID!" Like, I'm going. I, through have, my I own was shit. like, I got bigger yeah, fucking I got, issues. Yeah, I mean, insane. COVID's like, definitely a concern, but I was like, "Dude, I, I, how I came out of having a stroke, and I can still talk regularly, and I don't have like any." crazy deformity on my face because i know pe- some people like one of my old bosses had gotten a stroke and you could really see it. Yeah. yeah it really affects them so I was like the fact i had a stroke in a hospital where you can have immediate medical attention and you're monitored like so thankful for that but 
I mean, just trying to process the trauma of that, I didn't even know how to wrap my head around what was And so was you had on. that stroke during the, when you were at the, because you were in the hospital for a total of two months after the first procedure, right? Yeah. Um, did you have that stroke during that time? Yeah. Or, I was, I, I went in and they were giving me, oh, so what I didn't tell you. Gnarly. So a side effect of massive blood transfusions is blood clotting in your body because mm. you're having all this intake of someone else's blood and your body has to like uh, accept it, yeah. you know? So you can, when you have that much fresh blood uh, from the outside pumped into you, it can cause massive clotting. And that's what happened. There was a clot in my brain um, from that. And I had a stroke from caused basically from the massive blood transfusions. So while I was only in there for like a few days at that moment, I fell asleep and woke up in the ICU. It took me about over two weeks to get out of the ICU. And I was trying to do everything they asked of me to let them get me out, you know? So that, I eat, and that was like crazy in itself. But at this point, I'm like, dude, I've been in here for almost two months. I want to get out. Hmm. And um, I, I remember a couple times I was about to get out there. Like, we think we're going to let you out today or tomorrow. And then I waited till tomorrow. And they're like, oh, no, we're going to wait another three days. And by then I was like, dude, I'm <laughs> signing myself out. Like, I'm not dealing with it. And they're like, no, no, you have to stay. I was like, no. I was like, but I was at cabin fever. I was Dude, it's so like mad. In jail and you're about to get out, but like, oh no, yeah. you're not gonna get your kick. <laughs> exactly. And I was like screaming. You're not gonna get your sheriff pass. I was screaming at this oh. fucking doctor who's younger than me, who doesn't, who's shaking. He doesn't know how to handle the situation. He's like, Dude, I've been here for three months. Give me the papers. Give me the fuck out. And he was like, Well, we can't give you as much pain pills yeah. if we sign you out today. I was like, I don't care. I'll be dope sick at my house. Like I'm gonna fucking get hyped so and, and i think okay so now looking back we're okay so i remember right getting in touch with you and you well, what, saying was i in the hospital yeah yeah you were in the hospital oh, this is the first i remember this and and you're saying like hey bro like i'm almost out of the hospital i'm, I'm it's, almost got it's over whoop de whoop and i was like and at the time i didn't pause but was this in the first it is because I remember like hey I'm in Santa Barbara yeah right right. or or, or if you want to something like that I was trying to set up visitations for people yeah for people and I remember that but at the time I like I said dude I don't think anybody's aware of the exact details of what you had to go through oh no and and this is why we're here because I am just I'm still amazed and I'm still astonished how you were able to go through the hardships that you went through right and and still be here today to live the telltale but I do remember that when you got out of the hospital that first time. Yeah. And so now we're going through, um, uh, uh, okay, so we're out of the hospital, right? And I want you to kind of like describe, right, all the other things, like the mental aspect of going through all the way up to the last procedure. Okay. Because we know what's going on, right? You're yeah. fucked up physically, right? You got oh, this bag dude, next yeah. to you, right? You're being doped up. But I don't think that, it, it, but at that point, right, it's, there's like this mental aspect of what you're going through of like, it's actually starting to sink in that, you know, you got, it, it's like, I don't know how to describe it. Describe it for the viewers. Okay. So, I mean, the mental realization of what you're just de- like describing, I wasn't even prepared or even in a mental state that I I could conceptualize, you know, because I'm, first of all, I'm really doped up on drugs every four hours. I'm Mm -hmm. fucking, so 
first and you know even if you know when you're sober and you have a lot of shit going on in your life you get high and then yeah you don't think about that so i mean you think about it but it's like so distant when you're loaded you know so and i think and i just want to because give more of a like a, a picture for the viewers i think those that mental aspect came in this in this room that we're on in right now, this yeah. bed right here, man. Like, well, here is where it, like the drugs really wore off, so I well, could that the reality it, set in, you exactly. know. Exactly, <laughs> and this was your. I mean, I guess you called your safe it's, haven for yeah, the course exactly of that time, man. This is was. where you were going through it in this exact room. I mean, now we're past the point of like what you know went through the hospital and and the coming off the drugs, right? And here you are sitting in this room trying to process everything that's going on, mm-hmm. and during that. During that whole time, you know, when you're here at home resting and, and, and trying to, um, you know, figure out when's your next appointment, when's your next doctor checkup, when's your next surgery. And so go back to um, that, like. Okay, so the the first thing was, was like getting discharged was, all, you know, a problem. I was just wanted to sign out and they didn't want me to. And finally, the surgeon was like, yeah, he's going crazy in here. Just let him sign out. <laughs> so they lay, took me off and they, I think they prescribed me like 30 Dilaudids, you mm-hmm. know. What they said was a 30-day supply, but at that rate, my tolerance uh, was more like a two-week supply. And so um, I'm trying to get out and they're, they're getting all the paperwork ready. And I'm trying to line up a ride to get to my apartment because that's – at that point, that's – I'm like thinking that's where I'm going to go, right? Yeah. But I finally, like I told you, I situated a ride with my parents because they're like, we'll drive down and we'll come get you. You're going to stay with us and we're going to make sure you recover fast. So I was like, all right, well, let me just stop by my apartment and get like underwear and, you know, yeah, necessities. Yeah, yeah, so many things. So um, basically when I was doing that, I had contacted one of my roommates who will remain nameless and uh, was like, yeah, I'm getting discharged today. I'm going to uh, come by the house. And they had told me, oh, well, I don't feel comfortable with you coming to the house after you've been prescribed pain pills, you know. And so then I'm th- by that point, I'm, I'm pretty much dope sick, even though they're giving me, uh, you know, pain pills still. They're giving me a lot less. So I definitely am like sweating all through the day. I just feel gross and not in the mood. I just want to get out of the hospital. So it's like, and you're finally out. Yeah, I'm okay. almost out. Almost, okay, I'm still in out. the hospital. Okay, like texting my one of my roommates, and but you're getting out that day or the next one? that day. That day, okay. okay. So I'm lining yeah. up, you know, everything, and uh, and he, my own roommate's like, yeah, I don't want you at the fucking apartment you pay rent at. You know, I've, it's not, and you know, and just I, to give a little back history. I mean, this is another roommate that we went into rehab together. We graduated really, with, yeah, you know, you have a friendship, with, good friendship with, probably you know? like your best friendship. One of my best had. friends in rehab, you know. So, um, so, but the thing is, I definitely, you know, looking back, I, I've definitely didn't handle it well. Um, but I mean, I was dope sick, so I, I was probably the closest I was to like when I was when I was strung out, you know, not being very nice to people and. Well, except I mean, you're hurt. You know what I mean? Like exactly. Just like, you're, like this really hurt. Like this is this is not only like and mentally, emotionally, I can't even even process <laughs> that. You know, I'm just feeling physically shitty, and I'm just like, dude, I want to just lay down. You know? Yeah. And so. I'm basically just getting an argument. I'm like, dude, I pay rent. Like, why, you're not going to let me go to my own fucking house, you know? 
And so we get in this argument, and I don't handle it well, and then we just have this little spat. And he leaves. I show up to get my things. My other roommate's there. I grab some things, and he's really cool. And I go back up north to San Luis Obispo. And I'm up here for about two weeks. And in uh, those two weeks, I detoxed off, uh, delauded that they gave me. Which was actually, I mean, it was a little rough, but it wasn't like a heroin withdrawal. You know, it could have been way worse. So I was like, good for that. But when I'm just starting to feel normal, I had gotten an email saying, from one of my rooms saying, oh, I have like three or four days to move out. Basically, they're trying to give me a notice. They, they, he, he wants me gone. I don't know about the other roommate, but this one roommate that I had a spat with wants me to leave. Um, so I was just taken back because it's my friend, but also it's like, okay, he's all insecure about opiates. That was his drug of choice, pills. I get that. Um, it kind of put me in a really bad bind because it's like I still have my job in Santa Barbara who want me to go back to work, but like I'm dealing with all the shit. So if I don't have an apartment, mm-hmm. it's like, how am I going to get back to there? And I ended up actually losing that job because I couldn't go back to work. So that kind of sucked at the time, you know, in hindsight, it was probably for the best anyway. But so that, I'm also frustrated about that. I'm just like, wow, I felt kind of betrayed by my friend. And I, I tried to like make amends over the phone. Um, which went as well as it could have as far as amends go because we were both kind of mad at each other but still being civil mm-hmm. and uh, working out, well, I need at least a week notice to get all my shit out of the house, or, you know, which I did. Which you I, got, yeah. I got my shit out of there, like trying to be a good roommate, you know. And the funny thing is I know getting him kicking me out, that was because he's scared of me being on pills or me being back on heroin. And he had thought I was still strung out. And I'd actually explained to him, like, dude, I detoxed. I'm not on pills. I actually decided to stay up here to be away from my roommate so he could feel more comfortable and me getting off the pills so he's not around that. Okay, like a so respect this, thing. Yeah. So at this point, he, Unc leaves Santa Barbara. You know, yeah. For the first time since rehab. Yeah. This is when you leave back Santa in my Barbara, hometown. You make the decision, okay, I'm going to come home back to our hometown. I'm going to come home. I'm going to, you know, stay with my parents. I'm going to try to get through this. I'm going to recover over here. I'm going to leave. And let me just recap, you know, he started everything in Santa Barbara. His recovery down there. Yeah, that's right. my world. Had, yeah, it was. So, and he I had mean, to leave it all. He's leaving it all now. And I don't really have, it's not like I have a choice in the matter. Mm. It's like I was thinking and weighing about, well, should I put my security deposit back into another place? Even my parents were like, well, what are we going to do about you know, I thought maybe I'll, um, cause I thought I was just going to go back to work, Yeah, but it's like, well, that's not an option. But the, the fear I think in lies, it's like, okay, well, I, last time I lived here in my home bit, my hometown, I was strung out and oh, everyone I know up here, lot from when so, the last time I saw them, all my using so friends. That's why, cause I was having a tough time realizing why didn't you want to come here in the first place? Like, like, cause I mean, cause I just came to the realization that you were trying to like do what you can a little bit to stay down there. And, oh yeah, and, and I think I told not, you, that, yeah, that I'm really thinking about coming back into even though sober living. Yeah, and yeah. in my head, I'm thinking like, dude, this is probably the best place you could have came to. Like, why are you fighting it? But you're fighting it because like, dude, it's I'm the gonna fear. Have all this time, yeah. the fear 
of being back in, yeah. in your backyard, right? Well, it's like, dude, I just got off pills, so I have this fresh, you know, uh, not addiction, but this fresh feeling of, oh, what it's like to get mm-hmm. high. So, you know, it's almost like post-acute withdrawal symptom. Yeah. All you this know. time on your, you're going to have on your hand. And I'm dealing with the frustration of getting kicked out of my apartment and the fear of if am I going to relapse again and what I'm facing ahead, the next surgeries, and is that going to push me into hitting up people on Messenger that I haven't talked to for over a year. Where's the dope or where's this or that? Who who knows what? I thought that is such a great possibility. It was like, well, I have to think about it. How can you not think about that kind of shit, you know? So I was, that was going on, but I was wanting to come back here. But at the same time, I I realized it's going to be so hard and you know, I don't know what's going on with, I was on disability at the time too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, just not knowing where my next step was, if it was going to be here in Santa Barbara. So, and plus all this other stuff is going on. I'm doing checkups with doctors and stuff to make sure I'm good. And then I remember about a couple months after recovering from the first surgery, that's when my, uh, stoma prolapsed for the first time. And I don't know if you know exactly what that is, but it's like, you know, when weightlifters prolapse their butthole and it co- they shit out their intestines, basically. <laughs> this is the same thing. It's almost like a slinky or something. And your intestines just go outside. And so I was looking in my ileostomy bag and I was like, wow, my stoma looks like it's hanging out far. And this was at 830 at night. I'd look back down at it again at like 10, 1030. Like my intestines are filling up in this bag and I'm like freaking out. And you're alive looking at it. Yeah. Oh my. It's just like, how do you see your organs hanging out of your own body? That just reminds me of a scene in Saving Private. Yeah, it reminds me of a scene in Saving Private Ryan at the beginning when they're coming off the boat. The dude got grenaded and and his guts are hanging out. Guts are hanging out. Scary. Gnarly, yeah. So, and I, like, I tried to empty the bag and it hurt really bad and I was just like, Stink, probably. Uh, No? I didn't even smell any stink at that point. I was just like so freaked out. I think I threw up. Like, while I was emptying the bag, I was like, oh, my own guts, you know? And so I have to wake up my parents. It's like 10, 10, 30. They're asleep. And I'm like, mom, dad, my fucking guts are hanging out of me. And they're like, don't know. They're like, half, like what? Half asleep? And then when they see, I turn on the light and they see, they're like, oh, my God. They have rush to rush you over to the hospital. After drive, and they want to rush me to a hospital here. And I'm like, no, take me to, to where my surgeon was, who knows my body better than all these fucks. Yeah. Um, so we had to drive an hour and a half down to Santa Barbara with like your guts hanging 11. out in the back of the car. Yeah. And my oh, ileostomy bag is coming off. So I try not to leak shit or leak my own intestines out of the bag. I get in, they, they put an IV in me and they immediately put, um, liquid Dilaudid and like a liquid Benzo to calm mm-hmm. me down. Cause I'm like hyperventilating. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. So they drugged me up instantly. And I'm like, okay, I'm calmed down. And they get me into surgery. Uh, my surgeon gets me in and, and fixes the prolapse. And she's like, you're going to be fine. And they get me out of the hospital after a couple of days. Thank God. You know? But uh, it, what's crazy is my, my stoma was fine for like a month or two months. And then it prolapsed again two months later. And I, at the same time, I'm, I'm now, pretty... Now, did you rush back over to SV? Again. And, cause it, and it happened at like 10 at night again after a day of like... And when you were asleep, when it happened? Were you awake? And, no, because it so was like a day of, how, like 
I've been doing shit all day, like uh-huh. laundry or stuff, like little things. Do you hear you, like a pop or like... No. You, I just you, look down and it's, and it's hanging, already, it's oh. hanging out. And then an hour later, it's hanging out more and just like oozing out of me. You're lucky you were awake both those times because imagine if you were sleeping it. Oh, you no, could have just dude. like... And, or, and if I didn't have the bag and it's just like hanging out by itself, like the bag kind of held it in place more. So I went down a second time after a prolapse and they fix it again. But every time they fix the prolapse, they have to cut a small part of your small intestine mm. off to reattach it. Because I guess a small portion of your intestine dies and just dead flesh on your body. Uh. They have to cut off. But see, when they do that, your small intestine, it gets smaller in length. So it's not good if you want to reverse the ostomy. Because yeah. when they try to reattach the small t- intestine to your butthole it's it, shorter in yeah, length it, it may reach. not reach your butthole so that scared me too but did you know that at the time or yeah i did, did? okay and that freaked me out yeah, so that's... i'm already even more stressed like oh may- maybe they won't reverse the osme and um and i'm back on pain pills <laughs> again and well, i have to I, detox I think at that again point, that's like it's the least of my you. words yeah. right i mean we could say at the time yeah yeah but uh, it's just not pleasant mm-hmm. but um the most frustrating thing was when I would go in to see my surgeon and be like, all right, I want to get these second and third surgery yeah, let's done get through this. Already. They were prevent, they were like holding back and preventing me from my second surgery because she basically had said, we want you to be in the right, uh, quote unquote mental state to, to do this operation or because if it doesn't, uh, if it's not a success, you may have to live with an ostomy for the rest of your life. And we want you to be prepared for that. So you w- don't wake up from your third surgery and still see, yeah, you know, I mean, but at the same her, time, yeah. What's frustrating is like, okay, you hold back the surgery. What if my stoma prolapses again? again yeah. And you, you keep increasing your odds. You keep of, cutting off yeah. little pieces of me. And that by you holding it back, you just prevented me from being able to shit out of my ass for the rest of my life. Exactly. That's what I was just going to mention. Even my parents were like, what the fuck kind of logic is that? My own therapist was like, that's, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, you're my surgeon. You, you don't need to double as my therapist. You don't have doctrines for that or certification for that. You're just, you know, you're here to cut me open. Yeah. Right. Can you and just I think please at that do that? When you're giving them your consent, like, yeah, let's do this. I, yeah. I, I want to, you know, you know, go through with the surgery. I don't care. Well, I mean, I do care, obviously, but the longer I wait, it's the more risk the is more involved. Risk, yeah. So, and me, so let's. Even my therapist is like writing letters to my surgeon, like, he's more stressed, if anything, because you won't fucking let, pull the trigger on the surgery. Mm-hmm. Also, while I'm seeing the therapist, I'm talking about the stress of all this, her psychiatrist sees me because they're friends. He's trying to be like, you're depressed. You need to be on antidepressants. Wait, her psychiatrist, the doctor? Well, she's a therapist, so she can't prescribe. Your therapist. Yeah, my therapist is talking to me. Uh She can't prescribe medication, but her, she... Um, works or co-works with a psychiatrist. Okay, your therapist. So if she thinks yeah. somebody needs medication, she will have them see Refer them. them, yeah. Yeah. So he comes in to see uh, me okay. and I'm being like, well, I'm, because like you know, I have ADHD to the max already, but I'm not prescribed medication for that because it's basically pharmaceutical speed. So I've also, trying to have to deal with 
ADHD and its side effects, but doing that unmedicated. So, you know, getting distracted and all that shit, really easy, and anxiety and all that, really easy when you have ADHD and you're, yeah. you're not drugged up for it, basically. And I already thought, you know, they're going to treat me like a drug addict anyway, you know? Yeah, when you go to see a psychiatrist. Yeah, psychiatrist. they're going to be like, he's a, because I saw them before and they saw me when I was strung out on heroin, so they're going to see me in recovery and be like, I don't want to give him any drugs. Mm. But when I did see him, he was like, well, I'm not going to give you ADHD meds. And I was like, well, I'm already... Okay, so no to Adderall. I was already <laughs> iffy about being on any medication to begin with. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of weird how before I even said anything, he was like, oh, I don't I don't trust you with fucking sp- speed. <laughs> but I want you to be on Lexapro or I want you to be on all these... Depression. D- d- antidepressants. antidepressants. And I'm, at the time, I'm like, you know, my deal is anxiety and stress and depression and... ADHD symptoms. I, I was like, I was like, I don't want to be on antidepressants for, because it's like, I've heard of, you know, I've already heard people getting on them and how hard it is to get off of them, how it affects people's stomach. Some people feel worse. Yeah. Some people have more depression from it. And it's like, I just came to talk to someone and now you're trying to throw drugs at me. I just <laughs> got out of the hospital, so I don't need that. So I'm dealing with all that shit. So it, it was so frustrating because I just want to put, at the time especially, I was like, I just want to put all this behind me. And there's all these things in the way with insurance and doctors and having hoops to jump through. Mm-hmm. To like where I was just, aspect, yeah. yeah, and I was just so like, brutal. that was so frustrating. And I'm already depressed thinking how how much hope do can I cling on to, right? You know, because it's like, oh, I, you know. Worst case scenario, they can't reverse the ostomy, and every few months I have to have a small portion of my intestine cut out of me because it's going to keep prolapsing. Now, does that? I mean, when that happens, okay. If that happens, is that like? Does that decrease your life expectancy? I'm not sure because when I was talking to nurses about it and stuff, they said, "Yeah, there's some things they can do to try and fix that problem, but it doesn't really fix, and you're basically going to have to." Because if they keep cutting it off, that means you're going to have, have nothing. no intention at some point. Oh, that's such a yeah, that's scary. Yeah, and they're and they're basically that's saying the worst comes the worst. Yeah, they're basically the saying there's nothing you can really do to fix that. So it's like how it's like it's so it was e- not only easy but just almost necessary for me to just feel completely hopeless. You know. Because how could you not at that point you just feel like there's no hope for you? Mm-hmm. Like you get hit out of the right field with this medical thing and now you're just thrown in this whirlwind where you're affected to the point where your whole rest of your life is changed forever, you know? So mentally trying to take that in, I didn't even know how to process that while all this is going on, you know? Um, I'm honestly surprised myself that I didn't go get strung out again. Like I, I'm honestly. This is why I'm here. Yeah. This is why I'm here, and this is why we're having this conversation <laughs> right now. Well, thing is, I don't, I don't blame you for thinking like, how did he manage to get through that? Because I think about that now, still to this day, many nights I'll think and look back on the whole experience and be like, how did I ex- ex- uh, survive all that? Yeah. And still, I'm here, and I'm not, you know, I'm not strung out. So I honestly don't even know. Exactly, a hundred percent. How? Um, so I mean, it's it's difficult to try and explain like yeah. where I found strength and stuff. There, because there were so many times when I felt just like too 
not not physically weak, but like emotionally weak mm. to like even carry on. It was a lot of just me laying in bed and zoning out to like Netflix and Hulu because I was like, I can't even process or think about my life right now because it was so overwhelming. Right. Like that's ba- if that makes sense, you know, it makes perfect sense. Like there's a lot of people who've gone through trauma. I know you've definitely gone through some kind of trauma uh-huh. and it's it, there are, it's events where you're like, I don't even know how to think or react to this thing that happened in my life, you know? Yeah. So a lot of people just put that on the back burner. Like or a I lot d- of people do drugs. I mean, yeah. that's because they don't want to think about, or they want to numb and escape. they want to feel. Oh yeah. I wanted to escape more than anything. But for me, the only, I mean the, the escape I knew was like, all right, I want, if I'm going to relapse, I know, already know if I'm going to relapse, it's going to be heroin and meth together, mixed together in a fucking fresh rig. And I'm going to just stab it in my arm. I know that if I relapse, it's not going to, I'm not going to pussyfoot around. You know? <laughs> I mean, that, that's Cause when I had, <laughs> when I had thoughts of temptation, that's what it was. It was yeah. thinking about doing that. So I was like, well, I mean, and I had some really morbid thoughts. Like I don't, I've never opened up about this and I've never really told anybody this honestly, but there were times where I'm like, okay, well, if this surgery doesn't take, or if my life starts getting way worse, my backup, like the a f- small part of me, very small part of my brain was like, okay, my backup plan is I'm going to relapse, get loaded, and I'll eventually end up overdosing and dying. That, and I was like, because at that, po- that, that point, I was like, death is, the thought of death, that sounds like such a sweet release from the pain and all that shit I was going through, I was like, yeah, just let me die. And, like, and, and why did I thought, I thought, dude, why didn't I die when I had the stroke? Like that would have been the perfect, he had a stroke, bam. Like, why do I have to deal with all this, uh, you know, strength building or, you know, it was, it was hard, I mean, dude. I mean, if you were, if, if you were asking me why, I mean, it's to share your message of hope. Yeah. And, you know, and I really think, and, 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 you know, you just described to me something, you know, I heard in the meeting, dude, it's like, I heard this one guy say, dude, that death doesn't scare me. You know, that alcoholic, that addiction death doesn't scare me. It's that miserable. Oh yeah. Freaking. Dr- and you kind of put that in sweet release, but like, in like you know? a different kind of form, man. Yeah. And that's scary thought. That well, you- and it though, it's terrifying to know that an individual can reach those depths of just like depression and hate self hatred. And to know you can have that such a horrible feeling about yourself and the, the where your life is headed. Because at that point it was like, you know, I've done a lot of things to fuck up my life and ruin my life and lose everything. But this was something completely out of my control. It's not like yeah, I did it. <laughs> this yeah. is something that like happened to me. And, and, and I had no problems all the other times taking accountability and be like, all right, I made mm-hmm. really stupid decisions and look where it got me. And then, but it was always like, okay, I can rebuild. That's another twist. I spent like 15, 16 months of rebuilding. So it was like, man, what's the point? of rebuilding if it's just going to get so bad no matter how hard you try. That was like the hopeless mental Mental state I was feeling. But I will say when you talk about how did you find hope, I mean, there were red flags also in the back of my mind, which were like my conscience saying these are really scary thoughts to get like sink deeper into. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I know if I just 
delve into this mental state and keep getting further and further in this and not, and being stuck in my head, not talking to someone to get perspective from an outside source. You know, I knew that those thoughts would will come into fruition, right? Mm -hmm. If I don't take steps. And so I always had to like remind myself like reasons for living, you know? Cause I mean, there's times when I would, not care if I overdosed and then overdose and then feel like, wow, I'm scared, you know, and be like, wow, I'm so glad I didn't die. These are all the reasons that I'm glad I didn't die, you know? Um, so I would have to force induce those kind of thoughts. Like, wow, I would really suck to actually die, especially that way and leave all my loved ones, um, mourning me, especially yeah. my parents. Cause I know if I ever died that way, um, I've said this in meetings before, like, I don't think my mom especially would be able to survive or handle that news. Like, I think physically the news would kill her if she found out I overdosed and died. Even before all this, when I was strung out and first went to rehab, I, I mean, when I was first getting clean, I could tell that the effect it had on her, it took a physical toll on her, especially out of anyone in my family. So I was just like, I need to be strong to, make another day, get through another day. And then I'm one step closer to hopefully getting surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to, you know, say, dude, thank you for <coughs> sharing that or drawing out that yeah. moral inventory of all that, you know, going on through Yeah, dude. that time. I mean, I, I, now I want to kind of get an idea of like, okay, right. We're up to the, we just, you know, went through shitload of procedures, right? Yeah, two right. prolapses. So I want <laughs> And I want that it. sounds funny now because it, people think, man, you shit your a butt sh- out or something. Yeah. <laughs> a stroke, yeah. right? Getting, uh, having to leave your, the life that you build and you move back, right? You, and so, um, describe to us, you know, leading up to the point where, this is the last and final procedure, right? The doctor is talking to you before it and explaining what could go good and what can go bad and describe us, you know, the, the okay. good and the bad yeah. and, how, and how you were feeling. So I would say the turning point where things started to slowly but sh- uh, surely get better mm-hmm. is when my first surgeon was like, I'm going to refer you to another s- uh, gastric surgeon. Who's really good. And you just had those two? Yeah. Well, the first surgery was from my first surgeon. And then I had, like I told you, um, the frustration of her not wanting to do the rest of the operation because I wasn't happy enough, you know, which is like, how, how happy do you want me to be? Like, I'll fake it if I have to just... To the point to where you even <laughs> you were talking to your therapist and yeah. your psychiatrist. And my own therapist is like, wow, she's weird. You yeah. know, I'm just like, yeah, I have a nut job for a doctor. And so he wants you to go see this other surgeon. Well, she. She. She was like, I'm the gonna... one in uh, Beverly Hills? Well, no, she was at, she referred me to a surgeon at, in Beverly Hills at Cedar sinai Hospital, which is like really well known for being like top class fucking medical help there. Building is huge. It's like they have, it's such a big area down there. And so she referred me to him and I drove down there and saw him and he, I basically explained the whole situation about the prolapses and, 
And, uh, you know, and it was great seeing him because he's like, yeah, we should rush you in to get surgery as fast as possible. Mm. Um, totally, he, totally opposite of what yeah. your, your first surgeon, she had to say, right? Exactly. Oh, my. Okay. Yeah. So, and, um, should have just seen this guy the first time. <laughs> and so that was nice. Someone yeah. who was like, yeah, let's try and get your butthole reconstructed, you know? I was like, yeah. I'm, so now I'm finally excited again because I'm like, yeah, you know, let's do this. Because by that time, I haven't pooped out of my – oh, Get this. So I have the ileostomy bag and I'm shitting in the bag. Um, but after the first surgery, your uh, organs are a little inflamed from being cut open and stuff. Mm-hmm. And while they're trying to heal, it produces some kind of fluid. Uh, like your body emits like a, not a pus because it's not infection, but it's like a weird white fluid while it's trying to heal. Well, there's no, I had a, a tube coming out of me with a little thing and it, it would fill up with fluid you know but if, when I got out there they took the tube out and then that fluid still builds in you but you don't have a tube in you so you so where does the fluid go I, po- I had to poop it out my butt so even though I'm shitting into a bag out of a hole on my side every few days every three days I have to s- sit on the toilet and wipe creamy like bodily fluid I'm shitting out of my butt and it's not no shit it's just all like yeah. So not only did you have blood, I mean, you're shitting out blood, you had... No, by then, by then, I'm wiped. cured. No okay. blood's coming out of me at all. Okay, but I'm just saying, like, the things that people don't shit, but you're shitting, which was blood and this white fluid that you just described. Yeah, there's things coming out of every hole in my body, and I have a new hole in my body. I'm just like, God damn, I'm disgusting, you know? I don't want anyone to see me, or I don't want to be around people. I was like... You know, you probably noticed I wasn't on social media at all. He wasn't, folks. He wasn't. I, I dipped because it's like, what am I going to do? Upload a selfie of me? Like, for periodic of times. Yeah. For per- periodic of times. Because I didn't want anybody to see the sorry state I had got. I, <sighs> and I don't blame was you. In, you know? I don't blame you, man. And you were, just like how you described, you are going through where you just yeah. want to shut off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I And it's like... By then, it was like, like I said, I couldn't process anything. I knew I was going to have to process. It was like a traumatic experience for me. And I mm-hmm. recognized it. I was like, okay, I've noticed or recognized traumas in my life. This is definitely one that I could say, yeah, that's that's Trump to traumatic, traumatic, you know? Yeah. It's affected me in the way that I don't socialize the reg- the normal way I used to because of this is yeah. affecting my mental state, you know? So... But I started getting more hope talking to this new surgeon, and then I'd have to go down and do testing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the second surgery, they had to do a, a, a big, um, not an ultrasound, but it was, I explained it in the podcast, but they do a big x-ray where they stick you in this giant machine in a little the hole. It spins around. Yeah, it makes those weird noises, and they put something in your IV that makes your body glow under the x-ray. But what? I had to... Yeah, and I had to. They make they make you drink something, and it looks just like jizz. <laughs> it tastes like Gatorade and jizz, and you just drink it, so your wait, body wait. glows under radiation. Do you know what jizz tastes like? <laughs> I just get, well, okay. it was white, and it had the consistency it like and jizz. texture of what I think jizz is. I mean, it's okay if it's your jizz. <laughs> I don't know what actual jizz tastes like, but I because this is a lot fruitier, but also tastes like weird medical drugs. 
but in the consistency of jizz. Yeah. And you drink, it's not like you drink one, you drink like four of these things this big. Yeah. So I had to take a break because it was coming out of my stomach and my bag's in all full of like oh, yeah, that's jizz yeah. and I'm pissing it out and I'm getting injected with shit that makes you hot and sweaty. Was, but they, they want to take all your vitals to make sure you're as good as you can be before mm-hmm. surgery. So I'm just doing this and driving. Yeah, they're basically prepping you for surgery. Yeah, I'm driving to Santa Barbara and Beverly Hills like every other week oh. to have testing done. So I do the second surgery. It goes well, but I'm still stressed out because, like I told you, they put the J pouch in. And then the third surgery, they attach the small intestine to the J pouch. But that's when they find out, will it fit? Is it too short? Will this work? So I was still stressed out. Like, I can still... You know, might not yeah, be a as success. You should be. Yeah. So, but every day I'm I'm getting more positive and um, just out of my depressive state. You know, I'm like, all I have to do is get day by day, just take it one day at a time. Which is, you know, whatever sounds cliche, but the, it that's all you ca- could or all I could do is just all right. I'm gonna get through the day. I may not be in the best mood, but in if I get through this day and I do that five times in a row, I have one more. Checkup, and that's one more checkup closer to an operation. Mm-hmm. So every day I'm feeling a little better, and finally I have the um, surgery. The surgery, the last surgery, and I told you like it was a success, and I talked to you during that time, and uh, and it was good. I got out, and my like I said, I they reversed my ostomy, so I don't shit into a bag anymore. I shit out of my ass again, and even though it's been semi-painful because I'm healing and this and that feel the best I've felt in like over a year. So thank God, you know, and, 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 you know, I remember the last time I came and saw you. Oh yeah. You saw me. I dropped off your mail, dropped off your, you had my stimulus. Yeah. I I checked in with you before I had just, I can't do it. Yeah. Um, I was like, Hey, how you doing? Uh, and I want to come see you, dude. I know you're going through a lot of shit, and I just like I'm in town. Let me stop by, and you're like, yeah, dude. Um, let me just check with my with my parents, and and uh, basically you were kind of hesitant effort, but then you're like, hey, it's cool, come over. Yeah. And so I just headed over here, and I was in your room, and you weren't in here, and I see you come <laughs> in. And you had your, you were like almost like. I had, beat, shirt. You I had basketball shorts, no shirt, I'm no shirt. pale as a motherfucker, and I was like, well, Michael's coming over. I gotta empty my shit bag and out of respect because <laughs> I'm I'm I don't I don't see that many people in, yeah. like during that time and I'm like well as respect I mean he's probably gonna be taken back like oh wow shit bag you know because who yeah. wants to see that I have one that's stuck to me and I don't want to see it so I empty my shit bag you're in my room the whole time and I walk out of my room I'm like oh shirt's off I'm all sweaty and gross I'm like oh what's up and you just see my fucking at least it was a clean ileostomy bag so at least there was that but you saw my little stoma intestine and and I think I, I think at that one time I mean yeah that's all the I could see man I could see that you were going through some shit and I don't think anybody at that point cause like you said you know you shut yourself off and you just didn't really want the world to know mm-hmm. you were going through, you know, yeah. all these things. It's a little bit um, of shame. Yeah, I mean. of course. I would, and not only which shame. Which is fucked up because it's like you can't control this aspect of your life, but you're ashamed it's, of yourself for, yeah, it's, it's fucked up. It's the straight definition of the things that are out of your control. Yeah. Um, 
And so, but I think at that point, like, it finally hit me, like, man, this is serious. Really? You And you looked, and it looks, I mean, because I... I looked not a, the healthiest. Not probably. the healthiest. Yeah, because I had been but, just sitting in my room for months. But, I mean, for me, like, I don't think, you know, I know anybody that's gone through the procedures that you have just yeah. gone through, man. Well, and plus, dude, you... And now you, you're eight. When you met me... I had already had cancer 10 plus years ago. So I am missing a testicle. I'm missing my fucking <laughs> I intestine. About your one ball. I'm a freak Bobo. of nature. I, I've, it's hard to not feel like a freak of nature because you're like, and then when, I'm here to tell you that you're not. Dude. Yeah. Oh no, I know. I like when I went through that, I was like, I felt like a neutered dog or something. Cause I didn't know if I could have kids, which I can thank God. But um, you hear that, ladies? You can have kids. Yeah, and I don't need any anytime soon. So just a reminder, I'm, um, I'm not not getting my tube side, but <laughs> I'll wear a condom to avoid that fucking disaster. Condoms, what are those? Um, yeah, so, I know, right? So <laughs> let's go back. Okay, um, okay. So I was just describing that one, that last. I don't know. It must have been like what two or three months ago when you came in town. Yeah, like February. Yeah, and like. February, March. I could tell. A few like, months back. I could tell that was the first time we've actually saw each other since each I other. was left. Since you left. Yeah. Because I moved out and then a few months into moving out of sober living, all this shit happens and I'm just out of commission. Yeah. So I just. So I came and checked up on you. Yeah. That's what friends do. People. Yeah. I'll th- I appreciate that. And, and to everybody who's come up and visited me, just I want to say thank you if you're listening because that meant more to me than anything. Like, and I know when you saw me like that, you were kind of taken back like, oh shit, but you were like being cool. And I was just like, I know I was just like, yeah, that's my fucking and, life. And <laughs> okay. And I just thought of, I just thought of something because like yeah. at that time and, and when I saw you and like I said, it finally hit me like the seriousness and the gravity of, of your situation, you know, being your friend, I was concerned. And this is the first time that it occurred to me that like, oh, Brian could be you know yeah yeah i could and die I, well die but yeah. also like could be getting high like on the side like i'm just thinking from an addict perspective yeah and, like how much you know like is he taking advantage like where is he really at like, i'm how is that going through i'm freeloading, I'm freeloading. Yeah. like yeah you know he's perfect actually hitting up people perfect they're coming through the back of his window oh right, right. just like old times and, and like yeah. And I'm not saying this like in a judgmental way. I'm saying no, I'm saying this in like a, a dude, addict standpoint, like what I would probably be think like doing in. I this would look situation. at I would look at other people exactly in because and if anything, you're looking at it with concern for me, but concern for yourself. So you're hey, yeah. I, I remember at one point you went to hit dude, my vape and yeah. you looked at me. You're like, dude, is this nicotine or are there drugs in this? And I was like, bro, if I'm gonna do drugs, it's not through my vape. I was laughed at that. And point. I do remember that. And oh, dude, I, and I just gotta like just be you know honest. Like that did go there and and no. ever. I mean, from then all the way up till now, there was a legitimate concern on yeah, from my dude. point and like. Hoping that everything... What didn't go that way? It didn't go that way, yeah. But hoping for the best. Too. I could even... I could tell that... And I'm glad you I'm were, here saying to all you that... Yeah. This man right here... Well, you know, actions speak louder world than words. If I was actually strung out, you know I wouldn't... Oh, yeah. ...be looking like this or talking like this. I wouldn't even have probably... If I was strung out, I probably wouldn't have answered your mm. messages. Cause yeah, out of respect. You well, yeah, and you you just, like I said, shame. You don't want to pre- present yourself like that in front of someone who's trying to do good, and you don't want to put them at risk. Yeah. So you kind of just 
disappear from society. And I already had already done that. So I already had the expectation like, well, because I'm already just dipped out of Santa Barbara, a lot of people are probably thinking what is up with Unc. He's probably, he very good chance he might have gone out. Like, and what I also told you, there was apparently when I, people had come up to see me before, Oh yeah, someone, we were talking about this. Someone informed oh. me that someone I know, which I won't get into out of respect, had been spread had told yeah. I was told they're spreading a rumor about me saying I'm back on heroin, right? So I already knew in the back of my head, wow, because of that and because I'm not in Santa Barbara going to meetings and all that, I I could totally see the scenario of, oh, people think I'm could be on heroin. And they're afraid to see me if that's a possibility. So, and that's also the frustration because you have, again, outside of your control, you can't control what rumors are being said yeah. about you, especially when you're saying people do. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you're not there to defend yourself. And so when I saw you, I could tell you were standoffish because you did at yourself didn't know for sure. Am I strung out or whatnot? And even like, yeah, you took a hit of the vape at first <laughs> yeah. and then you were like, you you got scared and they're yeah. like, I, I have to go. <laughs> and I was like, all right, bro. Thank you for basically <laughs> describing that perfectly because. The, I don't hold that against you though. Ah, uh, thank you, man. Because I because was, knowing what I had gone I through, bad. knowing what was going on and knowing there was a possible rumor going around about me, I didn't blame you yeah. because you were doing so good you're doing you don't you don't want anything to come into your life that puts you back of the progression you've made so and i respect that you know yeah even and if i was strung out i would never want to take one of my friends out too yeah. <coughs> oh you would never yeah it's a but, shitty feeling i've i've relapsed with girlfriends i was dating at the time and you know it's just not a good feeling so i would never want to if i made the decision just to barbecue my life or whatever I'd never want to put someone else into the hell I chose to dive into. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, um, yeah, dude. I And I just want to, you know, kind of like, let's <coughs> set the record straight here. I mean, this is a, a, a basically a session of describing the hardships of recovering. Yeah, and you know... It, when you hit me up and you were like, yeah, I want to be on the, do a recording and you were proposing this idea. I mean, I've talked about a lot of this and I did a, what a three, I told you I did a three part episode detailing most of this, but I, a lot of what I'm talking to you about now, I was never, or I'd never felt comfortable opening up about like to anybody, especially not on the podcast because it was just like, I didn't want anyone to know. I was going through such shit, you know, but, uh, I think that the people needed to hear, I mean, and that's yeah, why I had know. the, that's why, and, and I've been in touch with you ever since that day, you know, yeah, when I left dude. and I thought that there was freaking dope in your mid, and I got all scared of it. Anyway, <laughs> or or and, meth but or something. I, yeah, we've been in touch, you know, yeah. that you, you've been on and off, um, and, and I've been, you know, you know, praying for you and, and hoping that, and I sending you a message, yeah, checking up dude. on you and like. Dude, like I said, I get your mail at work, and I think about you, and I'm like, fuck, dude, how is he doing? And so when I messaged you this week, and I, did, I had really had the desire to come and hear your story. Because yeah. it, it, I know that okay. it not only is it touching 
my my recovery, I know it can help out a lot of people out there as well because it, it says in our literature, you know, that that um, uh, we feel that our approach is practical for one addict can best understand another, right? That the therapeutic value yeah. of one addict helping another is without parallel. And for sure, going through, you know, everything that you went through and it's like you with your story and your message of hope is helping me stay clean today. Yeah. And you know what? That I think is amazing. And I'm really like honored that that even my experiences have that effect on anyone. You know, what's what's crazy is like I came I took a break from whatever podcasting and stuff because I just didn't have it in me all to stay weekly. Oh, dude, I don't blame you. Regularly. I don't blame you. Yeah. You know, I don't blame you, bro. But and, I mean, I started to do episodes again and the feedback has been amazing. People say, you know, a lot of the episodes are the best they've ever been. So thank you for that. But I get emails every now and then from people who say, yeah, I listened to your story and it's super inspiring. Like you, I just recently got clean and your podcast has helped me stay clean, which at the time, I mean, I was relapsing, overdosing, and strung out when I started doing all this. Mm-hmm. So to think that, de- like, documenting my uh, progression through all this would have a beneficial effect on other people—that's like the best um, redeemable quality you can I could get out of the podcast, you know? Because mm-hmm. I don't—I mean, I would like monetary gain, but. I've yet to see that. If anything, I pay a monthly fee on my pod host to like even upload episodes. So uh, the the thing that's really fueled me to even continue recording and uploading is that I do every now and then get an email and someone's like, yeah, you're really, you've helped me a lot. Or someone will message me being like, my parents were really bad addicts and listening to your podcast helps me understand addiction better. Or, you know, I have a, a son who's just started treatment and I find a lot of hope listening to you and you're, that's almost too overwhelming of like a positive feeling. You're just like, wow, you know, like I have an effect like that on other people and I've lived like such a shitty person for so long and I can actually do like a minuscule amount of good for just people I don't know, which is like what globally even. I'm glad you bring up uh, how me detailing that story is what you gather what inspiration out of because I mean it's a very difficult thing to open up about you you really feel like you're putting yourself in a vulnerable place when you open up about pain or you know character defects or any insecurity or shame or guilt or depression or something that you may think others will think of you as weak for, you know? So it's it's very difficult. And there's been a lot of stories I told in here that they're, it's just painful to relive, right? Even that three-part episode that was so difficult for me to even tell on a recording that I'm like just going to upload. Yeah. That's just like super hard. So to know that by doing that... Um, you get like positive feedback more than negative feedback. That's great. Yeah, man. You know? I mean, I think that like, you know, and one thing that I heard also in the meeting was like the, the bravest thing we can do as human beings is be vulnerable. 
you know, yeah. how counterintuitive well, is, yeah, to do it. I mean, you know, we grew up in a society where vulnerable is almost looked down on. No, and, it totally and, is. And talk and talking about feelings, it's like not a thing that <laughs> we do. No, and, and we're, we're talking yeah. about like what got you through. And I think that, you know, those three recording sessions where you just had to talk about it. And even though you probably weren't in the mood of talking about it, yeah. you still did. And those are tools that we uh, 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 gain, you know, once we are in recovery and that we're supposed to apply and you applied them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Talking about letting it out. Cause you have even, it's like one kind of one of those things when you don't want to go to a meeting, what do they say when you don't want to go to a meeting? You should probably go you should to probably a meeting. Go to meeting. <laughs> you didn't want to talk about it. You should probably talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely will say like not talking about or not opening up to it. I probably opened up to you on other occasions about it more and my, mm-hmm. you know, other people, the times I did that, it was such a relief, a feeling of relief, mm. and it was definitely therapeutic. And I could tell them times I bottled shit up, it just felt, it festered and built. So I definitely, it's like, I wish I would have uh, opened up about it sooner because I could, you know, tell the harm it was doing by not doing that. Because I, I was at a, I knew that I had reached a point that was like so low where I was like, all right anything's up on the table for possibility. Like I could crawl out of this or I could make a life changing decision that will be very bad. You know, Mm. I knew I was at the level where that is a possibility. So, um, finding whatever reason to try and crawl out of that was where I found hope, you know? And a lot of that was trying to fight for people outside of myself, you know, thinking of others. Yeah. My parents, my friends, my family, my loved ones, I was like, if I have to go through pain or I can try and, you know, my sister had just given birth to twins. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to be a good uncle for them. They, you know, it was like the constant thought of others. Yeah. I was like, if I have to go through hell and back and all this pain, I want to at least do it so I can give something of some good to the people that have done good for me. That's really the most important thing. I was just like, cause um, if I had thought about, I'm going to do this for myself or I'm going to do something to benefit myself, I don't think I would have gained as much out of anything, you know, if I thought, oh, I need to make some more money right now, or I need to, cause I was sitting on like 3000 bucks. Mm-hmm. So I, if I wanted drugs, dude, it was not hard. It was just at like the beginning of this whole process, right? Yeah. When I, when I had first gone in the hospital and yeah. then after my first surgery, I was saving a lot of money. Yeah. And making good money. And plus, I was getting stimulus checks and shit. And working. <laughs> so I was like, fuck it. So it was like, if I wanted to, all I knew, it, it was a few networks and uh, messages on Facebook away from locking down uh, someone I, I could find, someone who relapsed and who had dope. And you know? not only that, I mean, you had the perfect excuse. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. I mean, I mean, it's never an excuse. And, and you know, we can rationalize and, and we can justify... Um, all the different types of reasons we get high, but one, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm hidden out up here. I'm secluded from more people than ever. I don't have eyes on me as much, you know, I've, and, and I've weighed these options in my head. Like I thought like, Oh wow. I could, if I wanted to fool my parents, if I, you know, had someone stop by with a, even just a half a gram, I could try and sit on it. And then, you know, maybe they won't notice or see, I do it at night or I was thinking of all these, you know, when you have a, cause I listened to one of your recordings and you describe about the homeboy 
coming up to the back of your pad at like two in the morning trying to get it in. A that was. Yeah. That trying to and come that's through. how I realized. Hey, I got some dope. Let me in. That's the reason I didn't get into so, rehab the first time because I was dirty. And so I remember hearing that story and like these. I mean, towards this the is end, shit that happens. Yeah. Too. And the, okay, so these are my thoughts. I mean, obviously, like legitimate concerned thoughts. Being your friend after I left that one day, all nervous, and, and I remember hearing that one uh, episode about him, the homeboy coming around through the back, trying to get um, just showing up in the middle of nowhere, middle of nowhere. And so, anyways, and so now all these, and it occurred to me, I'm like, damn, I'm like, I'm in an uh, environment where I can go out like that. So I realize that more now. Mm-hmm. At the time. I was so depressed. Even I knew it was a possibility, but at the same time, I was so low and depressed. I was like, well, whatever. Because at the time, I felt that low before, mm-hmm. usually when I'm strung out. And it just was like, I don't care if I live or die, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've felt that way before, too. Just so much par- parts of your life are just going to shit. So, and you're getting trying to not be dope sick. You're just mm-hmm. like, whatever. Whatever happens, happens, you know? Um so now I look back at it and I'm almost astounded like how you were describing it. Like, fuck, how did I not relapse? You know, this is, this is why I'm here, folks. A lot of it, honestly, is luck. A lot of it's luck. It could have just taken. Oh, maybe I could have gone to get gas and ran into an old friend or um, someone out of the blue messages me. Hey, I got some fire, you know, and all I need to do is say, hey, yeah, I got 80 bucks right here, you know. I mean, I had $3,000. I could have bought God knows what, you know? Yeah. I mean... Heroin, math, coke, whatever. It could it could have just been like, oh, yeah, my friend has some acid. And that could have triggered me like, oh, and then I found coke, but I only want to shoot it up because I'm a needle junkie. And then by then I'm fucking on the tracks and just running but, all the race or whatever. But you, I mean, you did a very good job. Okay, so basically what you are saying is that you didn't get hit up by someone. Thank God, yeah. Not you didn't get hit up by time. social, or whether it was messenger, whether it was a text, yeah. or you, you didn't hear about anybody having some good dope that you can get access to. Is that is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, you I, didn't, I didn't. No one hit me up saying, "Hey, I got fire." No one, which is surprising. So but, I'm gonna argue the luck right there. I'm gonna argue the luck because to me, right, that is that's that, that's faith. And it would have been worse if I think if I was posting regularly because then people would have known, like, I'm in town, mm-hmm. you know? I think the fact that I wasn't on social media was – I a lot, part of me was not on social media also because I knew that could be my downfall because in the past, I've – Facebook has – I wouldn't blame Facebook, but oh. that has been a tool I've utilized to it's relapse. Been a tool for me. Many, I, you, know, you, can, you can forget messenger. phone numbers. Yeah. You, you can forget phone numbers to call or text, but and you can block people on on Facebook, <laughs> but just as easily you can unblock you can them and message them. Two, three, four in the morning. Exactly. Online, you know, but you're you like, know dude, they're by name. This right? guy's op- up at three a.m. just like me. All and, I have to do is message him and, and be I like, think, "Where is it at?" And I think one thing that kind yeah. of like. Kind of a, a, I mean, that, because uh, I remember looking on Messenger and I was probably up at two or three in the morning. I see yeah. you up at two or three in the morning. And so I'm like, uh, am I? Yeah, yeah. Is he? I mean, I exactly. hope not. But 
But in all reality, I was probably up in the bathroom emptying my shit bag. Because <laughs> that's another thing is your sleep or my sleep. Your sleep patterns are fucking weird. Well, because at 12.30, I knew I'm going to have to wake up and check my bag and yeah. empty it. Or else I have to deal with washing all shit out of my sheets. And I was just like, all right. Every night, I know I'm going to have to wake up at like 1 in the morning, empty my bag. Mm-hmm. So, your, yeah, your sleep patterns are all out yeah. of whack, you know? So then, yeah, on top of that. So <laughs> I think another thing that helped, because the last thing I could say that actually helped was whatever, playing the tape, you know, because they always, in drug court, they always say, you'll just play the tape when you're... So I was just would think about, okay, well, I'm going through this, I'm in the shit mood, and I'm going through all this shit, but could you imagine if I'm, like, strung out, like, mouthing off to my parents, being like, I'm, I'll be, go, I'm leaving the house, and I'm trying to, like pawn like my spare tire or something who knows like i i mean i made money in in devious ways in the past so who knows what opportunity would have arisen for me to make continue to make money to not be sick or you know and who knows if by doing that my parents are like i've had it with you and i'm kicked out while i'm trying to get into surgery like Yeah, I'm sleeping in my you car. You kicked out two in the morning. You got the bag and it's leaking. I, 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 yeah, my bag's leaking. I don't have enough bags, yeah. but I'm like, and I'm you going to like appointment the next day. I'm, I'm like going to a Starbucks trying to like clean it? my shit off me. Like who? It could have gotten so much. All the worse. Starbucks are closed because of COVID. And yeah, like as bad as you're and you and I are folks, detailing. He's it. going through all of this during COVID. During and COVID, I, just, I don't know. That in a way be. that kind of helped because less people on the streets so I don't have to deal with people looking at, or at me True. or thinking they're looking at me because you know I can I can tuck my bag into my boxers but it's like even uh, shirts like you can see that kind of bulges especially if it's like filling up and yeah but I mean like that's like from the outside world but when you're like in the hospital when all this you know when COVID is going on like well yeah another, doctors like, doctors yeah. don't even want to deal with people don't want to deal with people and there's actually kind of like a delay like there was a delay in, because they have to go through everything that COVID has they have I mean? so and much on their shoulders already whew. it's like how do they even have time for you you know but at the end of the day you know you're right here in front of me dude you're dressed like <laughs> you're, you're just like how I seen you dude like at rehab? At rehab yeah thank you and, and, and to an me like that is that is hope you well, know what I'm saying I will say when you messaged me saying to come over that was an excuse for me to get up and shower because, like, I've only showered, like, twice since I've been out of the hospital because, like, dude, it hurt. And you had to, like, I had to, like, cover up my hole because you can't get soap in yeah, it. Yeah, and, like, I mean, you're not even going out and, like, you know, having anyone to impress. And, and, no, yeah, I'm slowly trying to, like, right now it's, like, all right, make sure I'm in as little pain as possible. Make sure I'm fully healed. And then I'm going to try and, like, yeah. integrate into going out more or whatever, you know. And what integrating means, ladies... Is uh, I'm here to tell you that no. he's not wearing the bag anymore. He's cleaned up. He's okay. Ready so to go. Can we talk about that? I tried because <laughs> I, I as soon <laughs> let's just talk about it real quick. Okay, real. We'll quick. get a deal as soon as the bag came off, and I was like, all right, I don't have a shit bag taped to my side anymore. First you, thought. First thought is all right. I'm immediately a little bit more sexy to women. <laughs> So, I mean, I didn't feel the sexiest during those eight months. So I was like, dude, 
that's enough. I mean, to go through what you went through, and that's enough to just even, feel good about yourself. Well, even trying to pleasure myself, it's just hard to, you know, get feel mm-hmm. like sexy or get into that. You know, so I was like, I have no sex drive. When, you see, men go through it too, women. <laughs> You're not the only one. Men go through it too. But like mentally and emotionally, it was like, the I self-esteem don't... Self-esteem issue. Oh, that too. <laughs> well, how could you not, you know? Yeah. yeah. How could you not? I mean, for me, I was, it was just, I felt like anyone going through this is naturally going to feel this way, you know? And at that point, by by then, I was like, dude, I'm just going to have to accept the fact I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. I I already was like accepting that or trying to accept that because I didn't know maybe it doesn't get reversed, right? Mm. So I was already like, all right, I'm just going to be a weird person that never goes out and he'll be, I'll grow into a weird 50-year-old something who has ratty hair and leaves at 7 in the morning to get milk. You know, and he he does it. He just wears sweatpants or something. You know, milk in his mouth. That's weird, lonely man that gets dog around the block. If I have a dog, you know, at that point I was just like, I'm just gonna be that weird, a grumpy dude who never, yeah, who doesn't want to be part of society. So that's that was depressing, kind of. But um, so when I when I got through all the surgeries and I was like, okay, that's not an option anymore. I'm, you know, I don't poop normally. Like I used to, but I still poop out on my butt. That's like a great quality. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you really, that song, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone. I never thought like, gee, what would my life be like without my fucking intestine? You know, but I came quickly to discover that what it's like, you know? So I kind of rushed. I had no choice because it's out of my control, but I had no choice but to be rushed into this predicament, right? And you don't really have any uh, decision or say in the matter. You just have to kind of be forced through it, whether you like it or not, and try and process your brain and wrap your brain about it the best you can to have the best perception to get you through to the other side, right? So, okay, let me stop you there. All right. Okay, so when you first went through this, did you have hope? Did you... I mean, like, when you knew, like, the risk and everything, like... So the first... Before the procedure, before (coughs) the bag, before the first procedure, before the bag, you find out, like, okay, sir, did you have hope? Did you have faith? When I... That everything was going to be all right? Before I went through to the hospital, I was so busy with work, getting so much overtime and trying to get through school, I almost didn't have any time to even think Mm, about that. Okay. But by then, I... um, it got so bad that I was rushing the hospital and all this shit happened. So it was like, okay, I'm dealing with this, whether I like it or not. So, but I also, I went through the surgery. I was so doped up on Dilaudid and everything else. Okay. I couldn't even think about whether I had hope or not. I was getting through day to day and I was almost kind of fiendish. Cause you know, yeah. after f- being four hours being given liquid dope is liquid Dilaudid, but let's face it. It's like you're shooting up every four mm-hmm. hours. I mean, after a while, like an hour before my next dose, I'm like, where the fuck is that nurse? And How about I, when you were here for the first time after everything was said and done, you left Santa Barbara, you're in this room, you're coming off the drug, you just detoxed right okay. the first time. Uh-huh. Uh, do you have hope that everything was going to be Okay, right? so when the drugs were off and I was here, that's when I felt the least amount of hope ever. 
because mm. the drugs were off and I'm not, cause you know, when you're on, when you're high, you can kind of escape and yeah. all your problems are, oh, I know that. they're there, but you're yeah. not focused on them. You're not present. So when the, when the drugs were off and I detoxed, no, dude, I had such little hope. It was almost the last thing on my mind. I had such little hope. It was just, um, it was like that one, that was the one part during this whole story where I had to really dig deep to find hope that I didn't know was there. Um, because I, like I told you before, like I, I was so in a bad state mentally and emotionally. I knew that the littlest a thing could take me out. So recognizing that in itself was nice because if I didn't even like step aside or step outside of myself to be like, wow, this is real dangerous situation or dangerous, uh, kind of state of thought you're in right now, this could be bad. You might want to tread lightly, right? Mm -hmm. The fact that I even was like concerned was like, I was thankful for because every time, other time I didn't ever think about, Oh wow. Well, I thought about it, but I didn't care. You know, I was like, I'm going to barbecue my life. Probably. You didn't want to care at that moment. Yeah. At that point I was like, I cared way less. I was like, I still cared a little bit and I was clinging on that tiny consciousness telling me like, do you just keep fighting? I was cleaning. That voice was so faint though, you know? Mm. And the voice of like, Oh dude, you can just dude, you what you have the whole day to like do whatever you want and your money and you're depressed. And like, it's like that option of relief, that temporary relief. It was never more right there. Apparent in my face. But it's like not like all I needed was the opportunity for someone to say, "Hey, I have yeah, it." Yeah, like you described. Then, you know, then it was like, like to I hit you up. It was like, dude, up. I knew that was going to be game over. So that's the why I feel like it was a lot of luck, you know, a lot of luck. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot part of me stayed he in this room and just didn't leave for days. I just didn't want to leave any. I wouldn't leave the house, but I barely left my room or went online. My phone was on silent. Somewhere in my room, I would not pick it up. I, I think guess. a lot of factors had to do with that, though. Like you described, you know, like have to do with what? Uh, not wanting, not leaving. You know, this the house. Part of it was fear that I would just go part out. Of it was fear. Yeah, total. Because I knew I was like, if I'm online, if I'm on Messenger checking who's online, someone. Because still to this day, after being up here for a year, I haven't, for for the most part, really gone and messaged old p- friends and been like, what are you up to? I'm back in town. Cause yeah. I knew by doing that, I risked the chance of, Oh, I know that I'm here. running into a yeah, dude. I'm on, here yeah. every weekend to see my son. You know what I mean? I come back home, I come you, back into town. Yeah. So, you know, and, you hear about, Oh, yeah. so-and-so still on a bad one or so-and-so who was doing good when you were not doing good is now, or so-and-so's dead. Yeah. Like, you remember, um, I won't say their name, but remember homeboy who was in like Paso and he was killed. They found his fucking body, uh, in Riverside. I don't know if you remember that. They found his body chopped up in pieces in Riverside in the walls oh, of yeah, a yeah, house yeah, in Riverside I I heard about that. because he witnessed a stabbing and yeah. they killed him cause he was going to be a witness. Like I'm not going to get into, I won't ever Ugh. say the name of that, yeah. but Shit, just having that, like, happen, and, like, this last year, I've never known as many people 
to die from overdose or suicide or murder than the last 12 months. Yeah. It's like, I can't even keep track of how many people have died from overdose. Yeah. So when I'm, when I have those thoughts that I'm describing to you about temptation and all that, I knew it was like, once I cross the line and make that decision, like, okay, the dope's right there. I just have to drive and get it. I knew it was like, I'm pretty much committing suicide at that point. Cause I know I'm going to die. If I go do cross that line, mm-hmm. even if I don't die that first time, it's going to set me on a course where I will most likely die. Yeah. You know? And that's like how you describe, you know, one of the greatest, one of the tools that you had was playing the tape. Yeah. And I like to call that, you know, having that shift in perception and kind of being aware of, you know, these things. Yeah. The hope, I, I think the hope that you're asking about, it really came down to me weighing the options of, do I want to continue living or what are the pros and cons of, is it so bad that I have to, I should, I feel like I should end it or, um, what is there that I should, that's worth living for, you know? So I had to really dig deep to think and find reasons that were worth living. Mm-hmm. So, and that, oh. it's a hard, it's hard. That was yeah. hard. Like, and like, I never have opened really up about this, but yeah, it was the most, it was even this last hurdle of this year. It was definitely harder than getting clean, which is like the hardest thing I've had to do up to that point. And all the other things, and hardships or challenges I faced. Losing one nut. Yeah, that was nothing compared to <laughs> one this. One testicle. That was a walk. That was a cakewalk compared to this. Cakewalk. I was like, no. Dude, that was like fucking preschool compared to like all this, you know? So, yeah. I myself even sometimes wonder like how the fuck did I even survive, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but talking to you now. I'm super thankful, you know, like, like I'm in the best situation I am with my, in with my parents, you know, I'm, my family's doing great and I'm, I'm in a position where I can help them here and there. I'm getting healthier in less pain every day, not on pain pills. I got off those fast. That was also like I told you the biggest concern is knowing I have three operations with pain and knowing I'm going to have to put down pain pills and actively make decisions that I know are going to cut me off from that sooner. That was hard. Like, but yeah, like to be on the other side and know all that's behind me, it's such a sweet relief. Like it's crazy. Even that I can just talk to you like articulately, like very articulately. Thank you. I think that's how you say it. Like when I first had that tube taken out of my throat in the ICU, I couldn't talk. Like at all. And they didn't want to take the feeding tube out of my throat. And I would actually be so pissed off. I'd pull the feeding tube out of my throat and it just kept coming out of my... (laughs) And then I would hide it. And the nurse would be like, oh, fuck, we got to put the feeding tube back in them. (laughs) And then they would be shoving this thing down my throat. And I'd be like... Because I just like would be gagging. I pulled it out twice. And finally, the one nurse is like, I think he can keep it out. You know, he doesn't like it, obviously. And then I had to teach myself how to talk. Like, I'd literally have to watch commercials and they would have like catchphrases like, you know, Shumash Casino, bring out the winner in you. I would like try and repeat the words they would hear on the screen just so I could talk. I was like, fuck, you know. Mm -hmm. So 
now, like looking at it, you know, I can realize like, especially from an outside perspective, a lot of people will probably be like, wow, that's some serious shit, you know? Um, but for me, a lot of it is, it's hard to even acknowledge or accept because it's just hard to even think about in general, you know? Cause in the past there was so much pain emotionally tied to it. So I do, wouldn't think about it. It was always in the back burner and it kind of bottled up here and there. And then when I felt the, like really bad, I would open up about it where I had like felt that I needed to, but, um, yeah, dude, uh, it's, it's still mind blowing for me. Like, you know, so I could only imagine what it was like for my parents or for my friends or even my roommate who kicked me out, you know, how, what it must've been like for them, you know, Mm -hmm. because even though we had our disagreements, I still care about that person regardless of what they possibly said about me. Um, so I don't know. It's like, I've never opened up like this crazy about it. And when you even offered to do it, I was like, yeah, let's do it because I'm sure a lot of people would wonder. Um, but a part of me wants to say, yeah, dude, I'm just as stumped as you, you know, I just felt like I was fighting for my life and I found different things, tools here and there that helped me get through those moments. But there was a huge chance that I wasn't going to make it like, and that's a, a scary feeling, but it's like a very real thing. You have to, or at least I did. I had to like tell myself like, yeah, I may not make it through this. This may be like, which sucks because I mean, you see it, you go to meetings and people say, yeah, I went to the, I did 12 months at this rehab and now I'm out and my life is so good and that. And it's like, for me, I was thinking, what the fuck do I have to show for my life, dude? I, I don't even have a butthole anymore. I never anymore. looked at it that way. Right? So I was like, what the fuck is this recovery doing for me now? You know? Thank so, you for sharing that because that is like the other side yeah, of the coin. I mean, you, you don't just get all the time it's like you don't just get clean and it it's always all good i mean yes yeah. well that's presented with yeah and that's life. a life that's a big you know, after the decision yeah. is made that okay it's, it's not about the drugs anymore right then we'll have life there's still going to be a, the chance that something's going to hit you out of left field maybe not medical maybe your parents pass away or maybe something really shitty happens a family member passes or your fucking girlfriend relapses and you're living with her or any of these scenarios your dog ha- dies or something <laughs> that can take <laughs> you get fired and yeah you, you know something could take you out yeah it's just a, a crisis you know i think it, whether it's a external or internal crisis well, the biggest misconception, and I think this is the most important thing for anyone listening to hear, and I think even for you is important to hear, but you already know this, is the biggest misconception about recovery is that you are, I don't know, promised or you're going to have all these great rewards when you get clean. And the reality, and you know, a lot of people talk about that, which I think is a misconception that shouldn't be praised in meetings. It's a great selling point for people who's first getting clean, but for people to say, yeah, I got clean and now I have a car and a job and a girlfriend and a house. That's great. But even if you're clean, you still can lose all those things. Right. And what are you going to do then? Are you going to relapse or are you going to, you know, so it's like, yeah, you can get those things, but the rewards f- from recovery is recovery itself. 
you know? Mm. And that's what you have to remind yourself. And that, you know, you are just as susceptible to going out and losing all those things or just going out in general as the person who just came in the room and as the person who is 20 years, you know? So to try and take material possessions and be like, these are the reasons why my life is great. Not that, just material, but life itself. The, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's like a pipe dream or, anything or something, but it's not the, a legitimate enough reason for you to fight still to stay clean, you know? Because like, even if you don't, I don't expect or think anyone's going to go through as all the shit that I did. It, but I do think people will go through something in their life. Mm. That's just the nature of life. Like I remember when we were in a rehab and Gabe was, was leading a Wednesday meeting and his uh, sister had just passed away and he got really emotional in his share. His brother. his brother. Yeah, I think it was his brother. Okay. But he got a really emotional in his share and for him to share that and to talk about how important it was for him to stay strong through it. It, that share especially really had an effect on me, yeah. you know? Well, that's, I mean, another staff member, you know, yeah. you saying, I could say his name. His first Gabe? No, yeah. Well, no, and Dylan. Oh, Dylan's yeah, mother Dylan. passed, his mother passed like, Oh dude, like he shared that year, on this yeah. podcast. Like, you're oh, oh dude. And so like, no, and thank you for, and we'll end on this, you know, yeah, it's been here for two me. hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, thank you for clearing that up, you know, because I, that is a huge misconception is that everything is all gravy and you know life nothing's promised to you it's nothing and it goes and it and when you were describing that right um it that freaking cliche and it's i freaking hate that saying but as much as it sounds true that one yeah Yeah. one day at a time just it's just you know for today like that's all you got today that's all you can do sometimes sometimes you're so anxiety ridden and you're just like I like I know you and I have both felt there where it's like I have so much going on thoughts going on in my head mm-hmm. that are stressing me out that the only way I can like feel like I can f- get through the day is getting loaded. Yeah. You know? That will just take away the fear and the, just all the shit feelings I have built up in me cuz you know when we were getting strung out we basically didn't know or didn't have the tools necessary to try and get out of that headspace without getting high. Yeah. You know? So that was our solution. Yeah. And I think when a lot of people get into recovery or go into meetings or rehab or whatever, um, they are told or you you have a whole crew of people who have clean, solid, clean time. And you look at them and you're like, wow, they have such a good life. They have a solid wife and kids and they have all these nice things. I want that. Why? You know, hopefully if I get clean, I get that. And then what happens sometimes some people don't get those things or maybe they get clean um, and their girlfriend stays with the whole, them the whole time. But after getting clean, they realize they they don't enjoy being around each other or they fight a yeah. lot when they're sober. And then that takes someone out or anything. You yeah. Know? It could be X, Y, and Z. So that's, uh, just as important for anyone else as it was important for me that, um, yeah, nothing's promised to you except if you, that if you put in the work, you get re- results. You get recovery, you know, and that's what's promised to you mainly. And also basically how to, um, fight through those moments. Right. Cause like my biggest fear, especially when I got into rehab was I'm not going to be able to handle my parents' death. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's going to take me out. 
So, and knowing those situations I still will have to face, I'll still have to face bearing loved ones and bearing, you know, people and being strong through all that without going out. That's another thing where it's like, that's all I have, you know? So I guess we can end it at that. Cause yeah, it's, there, it's, I just, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Um, I apologize because a lot of that is just opening up about that. It was, it's definitely ex- exhausting on an emotional level mm-hmm. to where after a couple hours, you're like, fuck, I'm just, <laughs> it's spent to where you're like, I don't even know if I can find any more words to wrap yeah. up. It just, uh, no, we, mean, we can get into that another time. Yeah. You can get into another time. I um, mean, you're always invited you know, to the show. So. Stay tuned in. Um, with uh, Mike and Unc, and um, you know, we'll be here next time. Yeah, and with that, guys, I love you. And uh, yeah, I'll talk about some shit some other time. But yeah, you got two hours, and yeah, I mean, I I've been lagging on an episode, so there it is. There it is. I love you guys. So uh, what do I what do I always say? Peace, love, and and all the above. Thanks for making it this far. I know this... I don't know. I know this wasn't really uh, the typical kind of format that I've been kind of uh, evolving into. And this was also, whatever, the first uh, guest I've had in in forever. So I guess I I was formatting episodes based on my isolation. Which is, I don't know, shouldn't be laughing at my... (laughs) own unhealthy behavior but um yeah i'm i'm just wanting you to know that you know this episode you know after i went and listened back to it for edits and to censor things out i realized this was uh this was actually the most difficult uh thing i i really have ever opened up about on the podcast, especially, I did. I mean, to be honest, I really felt uncomfortable for the longest time talking about this to most people. But uh, fucking Michael, my my good friend, he really knows how to bring or he knows how to you know make me feel at home, you know, at ease. So I just, I guess, I opened up about it, and um, I just realized, like, wow, I really never really wanted to open up about a lot of the shit I did. So I don't know. It's really heavy to even know that by the time I push like off on my microphone, I'm going to upload this for like anyone and everyone to hear. So, (laughs) but you know, I tried to keep it lighthearted because it was pretty dark. So, um, to lighten the mood, I will say this when me and Michael, we're like hanging out like right before we we're about to record we were at like the vape store or 
doing something, driving around, and uh, I got a fucking message request on Instagram, and I was like, oh, who is this? Someone I that not following or doesn't follow me or whatever. So I was like, what's this message request all about? And uh, lol and behold, it was actually one of my ex-girlfriends, and she messaged me, um, no specific highs or how, are, how have you been doing or how are yous. None of that. It was just a link to her uh, exclusive like webcam, uh, which, you know, if she's clean and not strung out, then I would say hosting a webcam service is definitely a step up from where I've seen her in the past. So good on her, you know. You'd think I, I'd shame sex work? No. Make make your money. I don't give a fuck. Show your butthole. I don't care. If you don't, if you don't care about it floating around, I mean, I talk about my... A doctor putting his finger in my butt. So, you know, if you want to, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Do what you, you know, whatever. But I'm just saying, uh, that's kind of funny that he's just like, hey, no, we haven't talked in a while, and I'm not gonna really get into a conversation with you. But here, you know, you want to pay me some money to see my me shake my naked body because <laughs> we used to fuck. Because <laughs> I'm doing this now. So I, I didn't actually message her, and I was like, is that you? No, I never got a uh, response. And um, that's a shame, because I was wondering how she was doing. And I hope she's doing well. I mean, I hope all that uh, webcam money, she's investing it into, like, stocks or cryptocurrency or, you know, NFTs or anything but, you know, heroin. You know, and, and if that's what's going on, I'm just, like, two thumbs up, you know? I, I, God damn, I digress. That did really happen, and that's just my ridiculous life. But anyway, I really just wanted to wrap this up. Uh, I didn't all, I almost didn't want to even say anything. I just wanted to end the episode, but because you made it this far, I, you know, I just want to say I love you. This it was really difficult for me to record and edit. And, you know, we have Michael to thank for, you know, bringing the truth out of me. But I hope you have a better idea or understanding of where I've been for, you know, my pandemic. Um, and I know you all have been going through your um, own experiences and, and rough patches. And I hope you're you're getting through it well. And <clears throat> the last thing I want to say is that I've heard, you know, from people that some close friends of mine that I've known, you know, I won't say where I've known them, I won't say names or who they are, I just know of some people that I've heard, you know, if this is a hearsay, allegations, or, you know, allegedly, or whatever, I've heard that they're not doing so well, and, um, you know, I just worry about them, and I hope they are doing well, so that kind of put me in this weird mindset, you know, when you worry about someone who you hear things about, I don't know. My first reaction is, uh, I hope they're, I hope they don't die. Right. Because like I said before, I've lost more friends and more close people in my life the last year than I've ever lost friends in my whole entire life, you know? So that even trying to even pick apart, you know, each individual person I know and their passing, it's, it's, it's like too momentous, too, too big for me to handle right now. But um, I wanted to play out this really nice song that uh, my good friend 
help uh I suggested to her and um I discovered the song and basically it always reminds me about addiction it reminds me about people struggling in different you know ways other than addiction even and it reminds me about all the friends I lost and all the friends I worry about because I love them and I hope they're doing well you know um even if I haven't talked to them in you know ages I still love you and care about you so with that, I love all of you listening out there, and I hope you are doing well. And um, you know, shoot me a fucking message. <laughs> I'm I'm back around, you know. I get you know getting a little stronger every day. I need to get tanned, but let's let's leave that for next episode. We I got a few episodes I'm halfway done with, and you know I'll get back on that. So you got you know you got shit you got episodes coming up. So anyway, here's the song. It's by uh by honey honey it's not my usual you know run of the mill it's like not the usual kind of music i listen to but this i kind of hit me in the in the feel so here you go i love you guys and i'll see you later Shake now, lay to sleep.